Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where we're full of unfortunate noises. I'm your host, the infernal tootler Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, I'm just fetching the old man his slippers. And who else do we have? I'm Nick Pruer, and uh, I'm a dad with a shirt on. <laughs> and who is our final guest? And I'm Joe Pickett, and I'm a load of rich creamery butter. <laughs> and today's episode is There's No Disgrace Like Home. As far as anyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. Hey, Bart, last one in the fountain's a rotten egg. No! Be normal! Be normal! The classic Homer quote, be normal. <laughs> Today's episode aired on January 28th, 1990. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my God! Oh boy, Bobby. Driving Miss Daisy is number one at the box office. Joe Montana's 49ers defeat the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 24. And the captain of the Exxon Valdez trial begins. He will ultimately be found guilty of only misdemeanor negligence, fined $50,000, and sentenced to 1,000 hours of community service, which he won't have to do until 1999. Wow. Because of how many appeals he does. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Driving Miss Daisy. Don't I've seen uh, enough parodies of it to stitch it together yeah. in my mind. I feel like I saw Green Book. I think that's close enough. Right? <laughs> yeah. Less driving in that one. But, yeah. uh, well, no, there's a lot of driving yeah. in that one, actually. Wonder, uh, per capita, what has more driving? I, I would bet Green Book does. Was the Green Book in Miss Daisy's car? Plot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. twist. Am, am I misremembering this, or did In Living Color have a sketch called Riding Miss Daisy? I, I feel like there was been a dream you where had. the driver wanted to sleep with Miss Daisy. And oh, the, funny, wow. the funny part was that she was old. And why, <laughs> why would anyone want to sleep with somebody who's old? I think I'm maybe making this up, but there was like a Mad TV sketch where it was a Samuel L. Jackson style character playing the driver, and he was quite a foul mouthed. Mm, I, I remember the critic one, it was Malcolm X driving Miss Daisy, okay, and he left what, her to die on the train track, saying, When the revolution comes, you will not be spared. Yes, maybe that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> uh, any sports memories of this Super Bowl from you know, the 49ers? I'm shocked that the they played the Super Bowl this early. Right? Oh, I uh, mean, like, doesn't it's usually the Super February. Bowl? It's usually February. Mm-hmm. This oh, yeah, yeah, January was a late 28th. January one. And that the Simpsons decided to air right next to the Super Bowl. They're like, ah, well, new Simpsons against Super Bowl. People choose. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, now you're in, you know, the 49ers. Actually, as we're recording this, uh, the 49ers are in the Super Bowl again, are they not? Yes, they, they are. Yeah. I know that much about sports. Nice work. Right? Going against the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess by the time people are listening to this, that uh, the game is over. And uh, anybody want to make their predictions for the Super Bowl right now? 
I think 49ers will win. They're mm. they're like an ungodly team this year. Oh, yeah, boy. They're, they're destined. Frankly, right. I'm sick of our teams winning. It's a big problem. <laughs> and all the parades are just a nuisance. Well, the Niners haven't won in a while. The, the, on football, at least, the Bay Area hasn't won stuff in a while, I think. Yeah, this city needs to take it down a notch. You guys have been <laughs> winning so. way too much. Uh, but hey, welcome to uh, welcome back to Nick Brewer. Yeah. And welcome, Joe, yeah. from, both from Found Footage Festival. Yes, love you guys. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. We Honored to be here. We love your stuff. And we were at your live show last night, and I feared for Henry's safety. Yes. Yeah, we have to apologize about last night's show. It's uh, not the usual show. That is my endorsement for everyone out there, though. Yeah, yeah. Last night we did our after dark show, so it's all of our dirty stuff and our disgusting stuff and swearing stuff, and uh, it's relentless. Yeah, it really is. And normally we don't have that much awfulness in one show. I think what it is, you know, like the show is we find old VHS tapes and, and show them to people, the parts that make us laugh. But we have to watch a lot of like. Pretty gross, disgusting, disturbing footage too, and we and for some sick reason we maybe it's we're sadistic. We want to uh, subject people to that occasionally, <laughs> not every day, but in the after dark it, show, it's all there. But it's not pornographic. You no, no, it's no, not no, no. It's medical. It's, it's, it's the opposite of pornographic. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. it's like clinical. Ugh. It's clinical grossness. Yeah. yeah. The, the amount of penises uh-huh. seen, I think, were... No, Non-erotic that, penises. No, oh, no. No, no. no, no. Purely <laughs> medical penises. Uh, no, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great... It was a great show. I uh, did gag reflexes a few times, and I felt very embarrassed. I was like, oh, I hate... All these people are just trying to enjoy their drinks, and I'm going... <laughs> I know, and that place yeah. served food, too. That's yeah, never good. Yeah. I was surprised no one left. Like, I saw no one walk out, and I thought somebody would. We but, usually uh, have a couple during yeah. that show, yeah. But uh, but yeah, you guys are you're on tour. You're you're heading out again to uh, right after this recording. So thanks for for coming in to record here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so Nick, we talked a bit about your you know history with The Simpsons. So I I was curious, Joe, is that you guys grew up uh, pretty close to each other? So I'm curious, do you have a similar background with The yeah. Simpsons? Well, I like comedy is what brought Nick and I together. We our love of uh, Pee Wee Herman was really uh. like he, he was a member of the Pee Wee Herman fan club, and I was like, oh, how do you join? And he showed me how to do it. Pretty I popular hanged. kid. So. <laughs> <laughs> was the card laminated, or did you cut it out of something? Or uh... I, I think it was perforated. Oh, so, boy. Yeah. yeah. So that brought us together. But my first Simpsons uh, experience uh, was because my dad. My dad loved the life in, life in hell, or life oh. is hell, and the, the different is hells. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he would always buy the books, oh, and so awesome. then then uh, we saw, oh, there's a commercial. Oh, it looks like the life is, is it life is hell, or life in, in hell? hell. In life hell. in hell. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the animation looked similar to that, and we're like, "Oh, we got to watch that." Hmm. So it wasn't from Tracy Ellman; it was from the books, Mike Rainey's books. I don't think I've heard that story before from any guests. Yeah, as as that was their on ramp to it. That's wow. And so, uh, season one, you were like straight into the Bart Mania. Oh yeah, yeah. I was a hundred percent on board. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, I had uh, Underachiever and Proud of It Mm. T-shirt. Among your guys's thousands of VHS tapes, like. How many uh, Simpsony type things are in there? Oh. Do you think? I mean, we've we've found I, I we I think from our personal collections have dozens of tapes that say Simpsons on them, mm, and yeah. um, I mean our mistake at least my mistake was editing out the commercials, which would be the valuable yeah. part. Now, yeah, I, I have a, a tape right by my desk, VHS. It's in my mom's handwriting, and it says Simpsons '94. Oh, and I, and it's it's just kind of like a nice little thing to have near my desk. I think all my Simpsons tapes yeah. are gone now. I don't know where I I wish I'd. Kept them, but they also have. I think almost none of them have the 
commercials on him now, which is, is too bad. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in, at the time, it was cool to rewatch them without seeing commercials, like as, as a kid. But, oh, yeah. yeah. That was a treat. That was a special treat to watch it that way. I remember, like, when Simpsons Mania took off, there was a girl in my grade that had Simpsons pants. Hmm. Have you seen the Simpsons hmm. pants? It was the whole family like on her thigh. Huh. And then she got the nickname Bart because of that. everybody called her Bart because of that. <laughs> they landed on Bart. Yeah. Of, all the, of all the family. That's that's weird. <laughs> so me and Bob know that you found Footage Fest, guys. Have a plenty catch. To save us a little time, we did the lengthy writer and director profiles for this classic episode before you guys came in. So we're going to drop it in right here and then chat with you guys some more after. So we've got a bit of a writer's corner for this episode, a very big one, because these two guys are super important to The Simpsons, especially Reese, but especially Gene. <laughs> and yes, uh, Al, Gene, and Mike Reese, I mean, we've talked a ton about them, and I'm sure throughout the past five years of our podcast, we've sprinkled their bio throughout, mm-hmm. but now we can dig super deep into it. This will be a bit of a longer writer's corner, because uh, Al, Gene has worked on the show for almost 30 years. So, Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah, and they were pretty established comedy writers when they got hired yes. to the Simpsons. I think they're two of the most experienced on the original writing staff. They had nearly 10 years of traditional TV writing experience, especially sitcoms. So but Especially. Especially <laughs> sitcoms. But yes, they were the most skilled TV writers with like seven years of experience. But would it surprise you that they both went to Harvard? Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, of course. And their relationship uh, goes back to when they were roommates at Harvard. That's how they became friends. And they literally shared a bunk bed. That's how adorable their relationship oh, wow. is. Wow, that's... Well, and especially like for, for Gene is younger than Reese, I believe, right? Yes, uh, <laughs> a year younger, I think. Wow. But... Uh, but yeah, sharing a bunk bed, that is uh that feels like they did this in like eighteen seventy, not nineteen seventies or eighties, yes. I guess. At night Reese would go up and shovel her coal into the stove and uh <laughs> they keep warm. But yes, uh they both went to Harvard. Obviously Al Jean being a mega genius, attended Harvard at sixteen, mm-hmm. graduated school early. Apparently, according to Reese, he was going to be a doctor. Uh, but Reese was part of the Lampoon, and Gene was his friend. He's like, hey, you should come to the Lampoon. we got these cool parties with lots of chicks. It'll be lots of fun. And Reese said he basically was the guy who got Al Jean hooked on crack. <laughs> he could have done anything with his life, this uh, yeah. math genius. But but Mike Reese led him down the uh, dark path of comedy. I love that, you know, Reese now in his uh, older years, he's reflecting on it like, I prevented Al Jean from being the president with, <laughs> by making him learn about stupid comedy. He's, he's honestly better off being a comedy writer uh yeah i and i mean we joke uh you know we all talk about the harvardication of the simpsons and how there's a lot of like children of means who go to harvard and it's not as big it's but for gene especially uh but reese too but gene comes from like you know he's a detroit kid he's not the uh, he's not like al gene the 17th or whatever so and his dad ran a hardware store for like 60 years that he worked in yeah i think he said he went to harvard to get away from the hardware store because people would ask him questions and as a a shy young nerd he just like run away from them (laughs) i i mean i always identify with gene's love of marvel comic books Mm, he's a he's a big dork for those he got stan lee on the show yeah and that's a great commentary with him on it too one of the best and it was it was before i mean look it wasn't before stan lee appeared in any movie but it was before he was the constant cameo king of the last like 14 years of his life 
So from the Harvard Lampoon, they went on to write for the National Lampoon, mm-hmm. but they basically knew it was going to be over at any moment. Like it was not a, uh, a successful organization at that point. The glory days were behind them. When they were asked to write an Indiana Jones parody where he was a gynecologist, they said that was their darkest moment. <laughs> but oh, luckily yeah. they got the call from Hollywood and that's when they went to write Punch Up for the classic movie everybody loves, Airplane 2 from 1982. <laughs> I, I love the tales Reese has of the writer's room for that and just how dire it was but it was just them like in a box on the sets and uh, they didn't write enough jokes to be credited on the movie <laughs> uh, but i i always celebrate any writer learning to get out of the dead end that is print and move into yes. the uh, the at least the more lucrative world of television writing my only experience with national lampoon was uh when we were living with my grandma and my uncle was too because everybody lived with grandma then for some reason <laughs> uh he had a bunch of national lampoons from the 70s mm. and the only reason i would look at them is because at least one page would have a photograph of breasts <laughs> oh yes yeah that i it was in it was one of those funny porn things that also could function in the normal way porn would as well but with jokes I, it's a multi-purpose <laughs> magazine i mean i know it for the cover of like buy this album or, or we'll kill this dog and i think uh mostly i've read about how if you go back to read lampoon things now you only notice like oh this was pretty racist or yeah. this was pretty sexist if you read like but, the john hughes things that uh, yeah. were printed there but yeah now national lampoon is like uh direct to dvd like national lampoon presents fart school or yes, whatever yeah now i mean since the 80s it uh, late 80s it just became a brand you could purchase to put in the name of something which for folks it didn't even mean like the first national lampoon's vacation meant hey this will be a ribald funny thing in the way the national lampoon magazine is but then by like 93 or whatever a national lampoon's blank that meant oh this is like that chevy chase movie but Chevy Chase is probably not in it. <laughs> Too expensive. And I think Animal House is a National Lampoon yes, movie, right? Yeah. But oh. no one, I associate that with vacation. It's like, oh yeah, National Lampoon's vacation, not National Lampoon's Animal House. Yeah, I mean, though they both come from a very uh, Harvardy entitled, sexually regressive uh, stance on life, for sure. <laughs> so after Airplane 2, uh, they were big losers in Hollywood, unemployed, <laughs> watching a lot of TV, and Algene and Mike Reese were obsessed with the TV version of the 9 to 5 movie movie they said they couldn't stop watching it they could just could not get over how bad it was i had never heard of it it probably i must have run for so few episodes that never got syndicated either there's so. like one episode on youtube and i watched a compilation of the openings and you can see with every season it just gets cheaper and cheaper until you get to the <laughs> syndicated episodes oh. made just for syndication and it's like the cheapest opening ever with the cheapest like <laughs> video effects in it it's really disgusting i'm unlucky that in my market it was not uh it wasn't uh syndicated i missed out on all these Dabney Coleman classics. Oh, actually, Jeffrey Tambor was playing that role. Oh, yeah. boy. Hey, <laughs> he was cool up until like uh, four years ago. Uh, yeah. I mean, all the stories were he was always a monster on set, screaming yeah. at people and be like, but... We were in the dark until about four years ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I never heard any of stories about Dabney Coleman. No, and... he's a treasure and still alive <laughs> as of this recording. But so unfortunately, they were fired in uh, 10 weeks and totally crestfallen. Like, we can't even write for the worst show on TV. <laughs> what are we going to do? do so what they did was write for a bunch of stuff including uh not necessarily the news sledgehammer and alf and uh, it's gary shandling show yeah we uh with mike reese in our interview on the patreon uh where we talked about his book uh we had a few questions about his alf time and the gary shandling show time which really was like such uh alf you know it's it 
it's funny. Alf is the commercialism of early Simpsons. Oh, yeah. While Gary Shandling is the smarter, uh, more boundary-pushing, weird writing that later Simpsons would indulge in. So you can see a lot of the Simpsons traits in both of those shows. And especially like their episodes of Gary Shandling's show were direct movie parodies in the style Gene and Reese loved to do. Mm. Like the final episode they did of the Gary Shandling show was a Driving Miss Daisy parody. Okay, yeah. I mean, once you know that they work primarily in parody, it explains like their entire careers. Like For the sure. critic, uh, what they did in Lampoon, starting with Airplane 2, like yeah. it all makes sense. Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, that's that's why what they thought would be their final episode of The Simpsons, Cape Fear, is uh, all that. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. So perhaps their most influential moment in uh, TV writing was when they worked for about a year and a half on Johnny Carson's The Tonight Show, a terrible period for Johnny Carson, a famously <laughs> prickly guy. He was going through a divorce. Letterman was kicking his ass. He was already weird to work for. And when Al Jean and Mike Reese showed up to write uh, for the non-monologue stuff, they were told, like, you're going to last for 13 weeks and you're fired. <laughs> like, the contracts were every 13 weeks. Oh, man. So people were just constantly getting fired, lots of turnover. There was a weird cast system in which the monologue writers were in a different building than the other writers. Uh, and by weird. the way, this is all on Mark Malkov's amazing podcast yeah. called The Carson Podcast. Look up Mike Reese's episode, but also just listen to a bunch of them. Uh, he's the guy who hooked us up with the table read, and he went to uh, that with us, and oh, yeah. uh, his podcast is so good. Such, such a great podcast. And I love on that one with Reese. Reese is very much like non-worshipful of Carson and is deconstructing a lot of the myth of the man. I, yeah. I think one of my favorite stories he tells on there was like, oh, if you get interviewed by Carson, you definitely get hired at least then. He said the only two people he knew who didn't get hired by that <laughs> was a guy who came in and he was 500 pounds and a black guy. Yeah. Those are the only two guys that had Carson in the fire. Make of that what you will. I don't want to give away all of the stories from that podcast because they're all great, but I liked hearing about how when Johnny Carson interviews you for your uh, job, it's just like you're on the TV show, <laughs> yeah. except he's just wearing like a sweaty undershirt. That's so funny. And That's I also funny. liked hearing about the talent show he made writers put on for him. Uh, that uh, Honestly, that sounds a bit like Mr. Burns in this episode. You know what? You're right. <laughs> I can definitely see that. So, from all of this, after all this, they move on to The Simpsons. Sam Simon hires them based on all of their TV writing work. And you know what? Uh, lots of people don't want this job because mm-hmm. it's just like this very risky thing on a risky network that could make their names infamous. But Al, Gene, and Mike Reese were just like, it'll be a fun thing to do. And we've done mm-hmm. ALF. How is this any worse than ALF? And after this gets obviously canceled in one season, we'll just get on another live action show, the real shows that we're supposed to be working on with all of our Gary Shandling writing buddies. <laughs> So, you know, from our podcast and just from, you know, watching The Simpsons, they ran seasons three and four. They left with the episode Cape Fear along with like 90% of the staff. Mm-hmm. And they went off to make The Critic, which we covered on our uh, Patreon podcast, Talking Critic. The whole damn series. Yeah. yeah. And and you guys should listen to our Mike Reese interview. One of these days, we'll get an Al Jean interview to complete the pair. We'll pin him down. But, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, when you see this episode, you see so much of the tools that Mike Reese and Al Jean will use through their tenure on The Simpsons, like characters getting plot points from TV, the commercial parodies, the film parodies, and a lot of ADR edited in jokes mm-hmm. after the fact. Like they they learned a lot on their first uh, Simpsons script, and you can see so much of what they'll put into practice, both as writers in one and two. Though they returned late in season two, they actually didn't. They weren't there right at the beginning of uh. season two. They they did take another job after their time on season one. Oh, what was that? I didn't get that in my notes. 
notes. I th- it I forget. It it was definitely like a one off thing, or at least they went looking for stuff and then got hired back during season okay. two. Okay. Yeah. And of course, they also developed the hit TGIF show Teen Angel, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is uh, fine. It'd be fun to do an episode of that for this, just to be yeah. like, what what does a live action Gene and Reese <laughs> thing look like that they created? And that was their last live action thing they ever did, too. And uh, yeah, then as uh, as we just talked about in season ten, the pair of them split up, and uh, professionally, they're still very friendly on po- commentary, so it's not like they hate each other. But yeah, and I Mike think, Reese still speaks in very glowing terms of Al Gene. I think Reese was just done with Hollywood uh, to the extent that he wanted to show run anything. So, he had, he had yeah. quite a bit of fuck you money yes, to throw yeah, around. Yeah, and uh, you know, Mike Reese uh, has been married to the same woman for 30 years. I think that probably helps him in the yeah. alimony department. Of and, no and, and no children. Yeah. <laughs> Al Jean made the mistake of divorcing children. That's, yeah. uh, that's going to trap you in a job forever. That'll destroy any comedy writer. <laughs> So yeah, Al Jean and Mike Reese were always in the orbit of The Simpsons, even after they left. So of course, we know that they did a few satellite episodes in season six around Springfield and the Stars Burns. And also in season eight, they did uh, the Sherry Bobbins episode and Simpson Tide. Uh, inclu- and some like side stuff too. I swear they did the uh, the MLB meets The Simpsons on Fox stuff. Oh, I'm sure they were doing like promotional stuff too, because yeah. they knew how to write the characters. Yeah, they were the the satellite office uh, while still doing critic and taking advantage of the unused critic scripts and the jokes they had there too. Like they, I really appreciate Gene and Reese's like economy as writers that they're just like why why waste a joke why lose a joke like uh, Reese in his book I think even mentions how Gene has like a very strong deep memory of every of jokes done on the show before or also like oh remember that joke we did in that Golden Girl spec script let's do that as uh, an episode but yeah. So so uh, Algene and Mike Reese's last episode together was Simpson Time, their last mm-hmm. like professional script they wrote together. Another lengthy film parody. <laughs> yes, uh, a bit out of date, as we talked about in that episode. But then Algene was slowly sneaking his way back in. I think before his first return to the show, he was listed as a producer. Mm-hmm. But his formal return was in season 10's Mom and Pop Art. Yeah, Mike Scully mentioned that he you know, had some writer's room openings and Gene had reached out and he's like, well, of course. I want Al Jean back in here like it's he had worked on all the classic seasons like Scully uh, you know makes no bones about wanting to have as many original series writers in the room with him as possible to, to help us uh, st- help him steer the ship in those times so yeah and Al Jean and Mike Reese always regretted leaving the show uh, you can hear <laughs> it on the DVDs it's very funny now because they took a Disney development deal because the critic was on ABC and so mm-hmm. was uh, Teen Witch wait no Teen, uh, Angel. Teen Angel there yes. we go and uh, the entire time you can hear him quote this on the uh, you can hear this quote on the dvd like every time i was at disney i said i wish i never went to disney i hate disney so much <laughs> the Simpsons was so great no notes i hate disney i hate well now he's part of disney and yep. those will be exhibit a in his trial <laughs> against the walt uh, disney company the defamation suit yeah Rick reese mentioned in his book that he had to re-edit it late to remove the any of the specific references to disney is where they worked so al Jean would make his official return to the simpsons in season 10 with the episode mom and pop art which we did for talking simpsons and uh, I think before that, he was listed as a producer, like yeah. consulting producer. Like he never really left the orbit of the show. But season 10 is when he was back on as a writer. And then he would occasionally get some freelance spots uh, throughout a season until season 13. He takes over the show and he still is the show runner. Yeah. So he... the 2001-2002 season, the September 11th season, as we call it, <laughs> uh, there was one non-tragedy that year. And that was Al Jean taking over The Simpsons. Yeah, it's wild to think that after we did the first 
uh, 10 seasons and then two more seasons after that, it then becomes the same showrunner for the rest of time up to now. Like, and, uh, you know, who knows who will take it over from Al Jean eventually, but yeah, Al Jean, he's like, he's probably showrun more animated television than maybe anybody else, at least in the American animation industry. I would say that's gotta be true. It has to be true. Unless there are some folks who like, you know, worked on a million sponge bobs and then moved over to work on a million other things like i but even then it's like no this is like in pure minutes it's like he's probably yeah. done 400 episodes of simpsons now. so like 21 consecutive years of the simpsons and then two years of the simpsons and two years of the critic before that yeah so yeah. like 25 years of tele- animated television as the showrunner yeah and and an animated feature film with the simpsons movie as well like that's that's wild well meanwhile mike reese is just uh he's a one a day a week uh, rewrite guy on the simpsons yeah his book is uh very readable it's mm-hmm. a lot of stories you might not have heard before but yeah he flies in every week on the same day the same flight and flies back home does not stay in <laughs> la overnight because no, he that. hates it that much he flies in new york gets back because he i mean if you were rich enough to live in new york and just be there all the time you'd you'd just go to your like you know two hundred thousand a year <laughs> one day a week job I'd, these are all numbers i'm pulling out of my ass but yeah the, uh, if you never heard the audio book of it i think the audiobook's a really good one if you love hearing oh i love his voice on the commentary his voice is so great and uh, more about mike reese he did a few other things so essentially after the failure of teen angel he just stopped being a tv writer entirely like a full-time tv writer is like you know what i've got fuck you money mm-hmm. i can do whatever i want i'm just gonna dabble in things so he did uh make some animated web series for icebox.com so icebox and about 2000 they were signing up a lot of animated tv writers to do these little webisodes of things and mike reese created the series a hard drink in lincoln uh, and yes. also a queer duck which would mm-hmm. become a direct to dvd movie in i think 2006 yeah yeah which like uh, mike reese is not gay he's uh, i think he turned good-natured gay jokes into a nice thing uh, the i i as a gay man didn't i didn't feel one way or the other about queer duck really i feel like <laughs> it's like you know all the gay jokes on the critic what if that was a movie or a series Sounds like it yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that Icebox thing, like, that deal seems to have come straight from the critic. Like, Icebox hired him first. That's right. Uh, for Gina Reese to reboot the critic in um, some very difficult viewing. Uh, and But it's like, oh, you know what? These startup, these Silicon Valley guys, let's uh, let's give them a try. You know, if I'm, if I'm looking at it from Reese's perspective, he just had a bunch of Hollywood assholes blossom around. Maybe he's like, thought the Silicon Valley assholes would be less annoying. And he just hated Los Angeles so much. He couldn't stay. There's I a mean, lot of that in his book, too. Yes, yeah. Now he just travels the world. It's true. Uh, he seemingly gets dragged to a bunch of places by his uh, well-meaning wife. Uh, mm. He's a very lucky man. I'm not sure if he knows it. He just is always <laughs> complaining about having to go to some Broadway show or this or that or some other country. I like that he's such a curmudgeon. Yeah, like that. it's adorable. Uh, oh, and another is post... Uh, Simpsons things on top of like the movies he's written for and all this like punch up stuff. He worked on the David cop. He worked with David Copperfield on something. And uh, cause he and David Copperfield are just buddies. They're like friends, he tweets yeah. out pictures that and uh, our friendly <laughs> podcast podcast, the ride who we had on as guests, they did a deconstruction of the David Copperfield oh. uh, magic thing. And oh. the jokes they tell in that, that are that he has in there. I swear it reads like Mike Reese punch up. Like, oh, that could be. I think he wrote that show. He co-wrote that show with him. One of the things that stuck in my head after that podcast from Podcast Ride is, love, David. 
Love. Love. <laughs> Love. You have to listen to a three-hour podcast yeah. to know what we're talking about, but it's totally <laughs> worth it. Or just go to David Copperfield's show while he's still doing it in Vegas. Yeah. And be, be shocked for yourself. We won't spoil it for you, but... There's a Yakko Warner-style voice in it. <laughs> <laughs> Who says lines that sound like Mike Reese lines to yeah. me. Uh, also, more things about Mike Reese to just wrap up real quick. Uh, he dabbled in the Ice Age franchise for a bit. I mm-hmm. think he like wrote the third movie. Ice Age is dead. Nobody cares about Ice Age anymore, <laughs> but he like wrote a movie in some of the the shorts in the late uh, aughts, early teens, and he has written, I believe, over 20 children's books. It's really funny if you listen to him on the Carson podcast, he really just gets rid of the glamour of being a children's book author, <laughs> where in his world, he sends a manuscript away to his publisher, and then months later, someone illustrates it who he never meets. Someone <laughs> makes a cover, he never meets them either, has no say in the artistic uh, you know, creation of that uh, book, and then he just sees a book later. And he com- so funny. He was complaining about the latest cover of his book on this podcast. Like, have you seen this thing? It's so terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. But he's also like, I think he even says he's like a children's book author who hates kids. But yeah, famously <laughs> childless uh, children's book author. Yeah. But then again, I mean, uh, lots of. Jay Leno wrote a kid's book, too, and he's never had kids. So. I mean, they're just handed to celebrities who are bored. Like, yeah. hey, you want to write a kid's book? But Mike Reese is stuck with it. Like, there's other famous people who are just like, yeah, I did my kid's book. I'm out of here. Like, Jimmy Fallon has a kid's book that I saw. It seems like just an easy payday, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and it's really just for parents to buy a kid's book written by a person they've heard of. So, yeah, that is uh, Al Jean and Mike Reese. Lots to talk about, but Al Jean, uh, mega important in the Simpsons world, obviously. And uh, as far as I know, he's not going anywhere. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Disney employee once more. (laughs) The Simpsons will be right back. Tonight, make yourselves at home. Hear that, Dad? You can lie around in your underwear and scratch yourself. Are you listening to me? How do you tame the wildest family in town? <laughs> Don't have a cow, Dad. Get professional help. You're sending us to a doctor who advertises on pro wrestling? Boxing, Lisa, boxing. There's a world of difference. Will group therapy cure the Simpsons? You have the ability to shock them, and they have the ability to shock... Just testing. Tonight at 8.30 on Fox 5. Hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as a gelatin dessert. And a big thank you to our guests this week, Nick Purr and Joe Pickett from Found Footage Festival. So much fun to talk with them. Everybody should be checking out their stuff, whether it's their videos of VCR Party Live, the many Found Footage Festival shows they're doing all around North America and even in Europe. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. And if you'd like to hear more of this Patreon-supported podcast, then you need to head over where all our subscribers are patreon.com slash talking simpsons this is what me and bob do full-time thanks to the wonderful support of people like you who support us for five dollars a month on patreon.com slash talking simpsons for that five bucks you get to hear every episode a week ahead of time and ad free you could be hearing next week's right now and the same goes for our sister podcast what a cartoon a podcast where we go through a different animated series once a week. Plus, you'd get to hear our many exclusive mini-series, where we cover in the same style as Talking Simpsons, Futurama, King of the Hill, and The Critic. Plus, there's over 20 different interviews with folks who have worked on The Simpsons since day one in some cases, many Simpsons veterans telling exclusive stories to us in special interviews you can only hear in full if you're a Patreon supporter. So please consider heading over to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons today to support us. 
But if you want to go to the fancy levels of a cable-ready television, then you need to head up to the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons for 10 bucks a month. You get all that $5 stuff I just talked about, plus our premium once-a-month podcast, What a Cartoon Movie, where me and Bob break down a different animated feature film once a month. Our most recent one was The Animatrix, the anime anthology based on the classic Matrix film franchise. Before that, we did The Iron Giant, Toy Story, The Nightmare Before Christmas, A Goofy Movie, Akira, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Kiki's Delivery Service, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Aladdin, Beavis and Butthead, Do America, Tiny Toons, How I Spent My Vacation, and more. You can hear all of those in full over 50 hours of Patreon-exclusive podcasts if you sign up at the $10 a month level at patreon.com slash talkingsimpsons today! Uh, and so on the director side, this is another of the interesting ones with dual director credit, which uh, implies someone was let go and the other person directed it. It indicates uh, a non-troubled production. <laughs> this one is credited to Greg Vanzo and Kent Butterworth, which uh, honestly, I think we're going to talk a lot more about Kent Butterworth in our Some Enchanted Evening one. So I'll just skip over that a little bit. But Kent Butterworth basically was a guy with a more of a Saturday morning background who was hired to oversee the simpsons and stylistically he did not mesh with what the simpsons wanted out of their animation he after doing some enchanted evening i think he was in the middle of directing this episode and they let him go Mm. but i think by like um guild standards he still got to keep director credit though i think they pretty much erased everything and gave it to the other director greg vanzo who he was like a boarder on the show who just got handed it and this is his only director credit on the simpsons uh so let's go into the life of uh, greg vanzo here Greg Vanzo is a key figure in the U.S. animation world for like the last 30 years. And uh, though he'd only be a director on this episode of Simpsons and also the music video for Deep Deep Trouble, he was a boarder and uh, layout artist, a board checker, a layout checker. He has a ton of credits in the first and into second season that already defined the look of Simpsons like and gave so much to the artistic style of the show from the beginning. Uh, and I IMDb, Vanzo's first professional credits are on the My Little Pony TV show and movie hmm. in the in the mid to late 80s. Uh, but he then moved into over to Simpsons during the earliest days after working on Brad Bird's family dog short. So he, uh, I'm wondering if Bird, after working with him on Family Dog, was like, I'm going to bring this Vanzo guy over with me to Simpsons. So he did layouts and boards in about half the episodes of season one, including he's one of the two boarders on this episode, which like that is crazy double duty of boarding plus direction on there. And uh, he had worked, uh, he'd worked through most of season one. Then on season two, he did a little work, including he's one of the credited animators on the 
classic opening of the show that season two premiered. Okay, so the reworked season one opening. Yeah, if you look at him on IMDb, he has like um, a ton of Simpsons credits, but that's because he always was in the animator yeah. for the main title in the in the opening. But what he really did after the first season of The Simpsons was head over to a little company called Spumco Ooh. and help with a six half hours of a weird show called Ren and Stimpy. I honestly forgot how involved uh, Greg Vanzo was in Ren and Stimpy. Oh, and uh, obviously I love that show so much. Let's forget about John Kay. Yeah. Other people made that show good. He barely made it good. Yes. He yeah. was holding them back. <laughs> uh, we have a whole episode about it. We have two episodes of What a Cartoon about Ren and Stimpy. Look those up. But yeah, Greg Vanzo, uh, part of some of the most important television shows in uh, the 90s and in cartoon history. Yeah. To go from Simpsons to Ren and Stimpy, like that is two big um, forces of improving animation on television in the u.s and ren and stimpy especially it wanted the the view of all the folks working in spumco on it and greg vanzo included was like let's elevate television animation let's do something more like the classic warner tunes we all grew up on you know let's make stuff like Clampett and avery and jones did you know fit 40 years earlier and uh, vanzo you know he animated on a lot of stuff like he he had uh, a, a small animation thing going out of his garage with his wife Nikki who Nikki Vanzo was also a uh, animation checker on Ren and Stimpy as well and she worked on some season one Simpsons I believe like uh, his biggest Greg Greg animated like on Fire Dogs that was one of his first ones on Ren and Stimpy honestly you should read the book uh, Sick Little Monkeys by our friend Thad Kamarowski can't promote that book enough it's really good Uh, and after season one of Ren and Stimpy which was a treble production they get sold season two and that's when Greg Vanzo and his well really his wife Nikki has this idea of like you know what we could run an animation production house like we've sort of been doing it out of our garage but it, what if we moved to South Korea and opened up a place there? We could oversee it and make sure it was better overseas animation than what the standard was in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, the overseas animators were talented at what they did, but they were not used to making a quote-unquote good cartoon yeah. with full animation. They were not trained to do that, so the results they were getting back were terrible. Yeah, I mean, up to the early 90s, it's decades of uh, you know Korean animators who are very skilled, very talented, like but they're being told here is the smallest budget we will hand you we need this as fast as possible and we don't and reuse all you all you can because this is cheap like they it's it wasn't a lack of skill that made a lot of overseas animation bad it was just the machine that they were expected to do yeah and i i follow this ren and stimpy uh art account on twitter it's called the art of ren and stimpy and artisan quotes hilariously but Mm -hmm. uh i noticed that they will post a lot of animation drawings from overseas and the best cleanest ones are always from rough draft yes yeah so that was the studio uh they they started it out of uh, a van nuys office that was the u.s side of things but uh really the most animation was done out of rough drafts korean offices which opened up in the 90 early 90s and ren and stimpy season two were their first shows and for the standards like acom who were the overseas production house for simpson season one compare that to what rough draft was pulling off on uh, the powder toast man and in the army now season premiere of ren and stimpy they were doing better work and i think it was that like 
the Vanzos were able to kind of bridge a gap of communication that well, that had been lost through all the utilitarian art that the uh, overseas animators were being tasked with up to that point. So, I mean, you know, was it as, uh, I, it wasn't as good as some of the Carbuncle ones? Maybe not, but they were close. Like Sven Hollick, that's a rough draft, Red and Stimpy as well, and it looks oh, great. Oh, it's gorgeous. I remember hanging out with uh, Ian and Toby, the creators of OKKO, and we were talking about different animation studios, and I was like, oh, who did that? I forgot what I was talking about, and uh, Ian was like, RDK did that. I'm like, RDK? What does that mean? He's like, oh, yeah, Rough Draft Korea. So within the animation <laughs> world, you just called RDK. Yeah, it's just RDK. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, some of their earliest assignments at Rough Draft, uh, other than Ren and Stimpy, they got some Simpsons assignments. They are co-producers on the Deep Deep Trouble video because it was originally going to be done by the same people who did do the Bartman Vagra Studios, a Hungarian studio. But I think after the problems on Do the Bartman, they're like, let's, uh, Greg Vanzo, you worked on Do the Bartman. Can you just do Deep, Deep Trouble out of your studio? Not as well remembered of a video or song, but I, I prefer it. It's a better looking video. Yeah. Like, man, the hell vision and then Bart turning into the snail version of himself like that, that actually haunts me still. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Uh, horrifying and, rather and also some of their earliest work was like uh they did animation on the fern gully film robocop 3 sucks ass but there's a really funny commercial in it called johnny rehab for uh a uh, action figure uh, they did all the animation of that it's gorgeous just look up that commercial uh and also they were uh producing on the original beavis and butthead as no well way. wow so i won't belabor this uh with a constant list of things but i did want to name a few of the episodes of Ren and snippy that they worked on like some of the most notable Notable ones and the best looking ones like Ren's Toothache, oh. Rubber Nipple Salesman, Sven Hoke, like you said, Mad Dog Hoke, the wrestling episode, yeah. Dog Show, one of the few George Licker cartoons, Fake Dad, Stimpy's Fan Club, Vista Anthony. <laughs> and there's just like a huge, huge list, and they're all these gorgeous looking episodes. And uh, also, the Vanzos, like through Rough Draft, they really helped pioneer CGI being on television animation. Like Scott Vanzo joined the company too and he was kind of the head of their cgi division he's the one credited with um the beauty and king dork animation in the critic right. as well which that was another of their early jobs like uh greg vanzo his connection with the simpsons even when he moved to korea after season one continued for a long time once the deal we talk about how the deal with Klasky chupo ends at season three but I also think the exclusivity with ACOM ended when the Klasky Chupo thing ended. ACOM was still doing some animation services, but in season four, starting with Homer the Heretic, Rough Draft was also doing production mm. on Simpsons. And Homer the Heretic, like, that is a gorgeous episode, oh, yeah. too. At the same time, they were doing the animation for The Critic, and they Vanzo's company has stayed in the greening orbit for such a long time. They did The Critic, they do Futurama, uh, which that one is a perfectly fitting for their CGI abilities, too. And Disenchantment, they're still the production company on that as yeah, well. Yeah, also a gorgeous show. I believe they have been the animation studio on all, or at least the majority, of SpongeBob shows, too. Huh, okay. And tons and tons of other shows. I could list shows all day. Uh, but I did want to mention one more that was, folks should listen to our What a Cartoon about the Max, because Greg Vanzo was heavily involved, like, directorially, not just as most of his credits on a lot of those shows are like Greg Vanzo, animation director, and he's just overseeing all the animation in a general, you know, umbrella sense on the Korean side. But on the Max, he is 
the director of episodes. Yeah, and that has aged better than digital animation made 10 years later. That oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a real thing that Rough Draft uh, brought to it that I think a lot of other production companies had to catch up with and have. But it was finding a way through art direction to make CGI work within the show better, you know, or work within a 2D animation in a less obtrusive way. And uh, yeah, they've uh, animated over 200 episodes, including they just did one in the current season. So Rough Draft still takes Mm, on animation services for Simpsons. They also produced many of the Simpsons commercials we enjoyed. They Vagra had done those before, but then when there's, uh, you can see a stylistic change in Butterfinger commercials at a certain point yeah i think that's when rough draft took over just thinking of how good all the space mutants commercials look yeah 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 and uh, and also they did animation services on the simpsons movie too and greg vanzo has a sequence director credit mm. on that film cool. so d- even though he's not like you know a mark kirkland or a wes archer kind of figure in simpsons animation and this is his only directed episode of the simpsons greg vanzo's fingerprints are all over the show up to today like he's his reach on the show is is massive so i assume uh was he working on ren and stimpy and the simpsons concurrently i um, believe once uh i think it might have been concurrently or like simpsons season one ended and then he moved over to production on the first ren and stimpy because i know the pilot which we've all seen a billion times uh the big house blues pilot it was completed in december of 1990 and screened for the first time and the series started in uh, september of 91 yeah, then I think definitely he was. Yeah, I would bet his Simpsons work probably ended early '90, and that would get free him up to work on mm. the season one of uh, Ren and Stimpy shorts. And then by season two of Ren and Stimpy slash season two of Simpsons, it, that's when he and his his wife Nikki were starting the project of opening up their own animation studio in Korea to oversee uh, over, to oversee overseas animation. <laughs> it's funny, uh, brother from the same planet, right? That's the name of the episode with the Ren and Stimpy parody yes yeah it's it's not even a parody just like an ad for Ren and Stimpy like we love Ren and Stimpy here's Ren and Stimpy scene drawn by a Ren and Stimpy artist I believe Chris Riccardi yeah did that for them so it looked Riccardi as hell on that one which that was really cool of them to do when uh Simpsons and John Kay were not the 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 nicest of uh, positions usually no they took the high road with that yeah and look who won look who won it's it honestly it's uh it's their mistake for ever having him come on to draw something for them but that's another story Yes, we'll get to that in about uh, eight years. Who knows? But why don't we talk to our guests now? Uh, well, Nick, you've, you've talked about how your, you know, uh, your work has brought you into the world of the Simpsons, uh, too. Like, have you guys had a lot of contact with, especially the writers of this, Al Jean and Mike Reese, any? I don't think so. I, I remember, no. yeah, no, the table read we were at, I think Ian Maxstone Graham was there, and he was a fan of our show and, ah. and mentioned that. But uh, that's that's about it. I don't think we've really had uh, – we're sort of on the peripheral of show business, mm. so I think that's uh, – we haven't really crossed paths with too many writers. And, uh, I mean, we should say to Nick, uh, officially on the microphone here, thank you. Thank you so much. So yeah. much. For getting us into the table read. Thank you. Nick yeah. turned a plus one into plus three through uh, <laughs> Hollywood magic. Yeah, well, it was our, our friend Mark who had, had the connection. So, um, But yeah, I mean, it was a shame that you hadn't gone before that. It needed to happen. But uh, yeah, we us, us whining about it to 
you finally yeah. helped the, save the day. We should whine about more things. Squeaky <laughs> wheel gets the grease. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like uh, season one. This one also is written by like an Alf guy, and I know you guys have uh, you guys have a love of Alf as well. Nick is more Alf obsessed than I am. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I appreciate Alf, although I don't think I've ever seen an entire episode. But hmm. yeah. really, wow! Our family didn't watch it. Okay. You know, it, my, what my viewing was dictated by what my parents watched. Mm. And if they didn't watch that, Nick's family, you know, he comes from a comedy family, so they uh, <laughs> they yeah. didn't watch The Dukes of Hazard. No, no Rock. action shows, no. only mm-hmm. sitcoms. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, well, you have uh, you have at least a couple Alf puppets in your in your recording. Yeah, space, did, you, right? did you have any of the Burger King Alf puppets? Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think I still have one somewhere. They have, do they have the suction cup? Uh, Those things? don't, but they're puppets. Okay. There was like the Bruce Springsteen one, the Chef, the Hawaiian shirt. Uh, I, I definitely had Chef and the guitar one. Yeah, I definitely yeah. had those. Was there yeah. a girl Alf, some sort of girl version of Alf puppet? The cartoon. Okay. Um, he had a girlfriend Rhonda in the cartoon. I remember but, I had uh, some beanbag girl Alf <laughs> doll. I, yeah, I don't know where hmm. it came from. <laughs> it might have been Ron. Well, that's a separate podcast. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but Al Jean and Mike Reese wrote for Alf uh, right before this. Mm-hmm. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. just recently, um, because uh, I had a, an Alf drive on our our VCR party internet show, where I said, "Hey, if you have a Burger King Alf puppet, my goal is to make a ball pit that that I I and." <laughs> People who want to can come and jump into a giant uh, a, pit of elf a, puppets. A flea-ridden uh, <laughs> ball pit of elves. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we got, uh, I think, over 100 elf puppets. Wow. And, um, and in the meantime, they are just kind of sitting around, so I made an elf fur coat out of them. I just kind of... <laughs> Pinned them all to it weighs like ninety pounds and oh God. Um, and when you get all those stuffed animals together in one place, it's kind of disgusting because they're yeah, all kind of matted. Yeah, there's been uh, like kids drool on it for for thirty years, thirty five years. Yeah, of kids drool. Yeah, on like it. all the cigarette smoke they've absorbed <laughs> over the years. Oh I posted yeah. a picture though of me wearing the elf coat, kind of doing a, a, a twirl, <laughs> and some guy who I guess I was friends with on some social media said, "Hey, I used to write for Elf, and I I love the coat." Uh, he's like, "If you ever want to get lunch, he lives in New York, and it's a." comedy writer and i was like oh god it's all coming true yeah. this is so he great put you in touch with paul fusco uh, well I that's mean, my goal is to have yeah. have elf be on our internet show then i can die happy he still is trying to bring elf back mm-hmm. i and think he of can do he it I yeah <laughs> i mean so mike reese uh he's out of hollywood for the most part he will throw anybody under the bus and burn every bridge because he's a fun you know storyteller guy he has nothing but nice things to say about elf and so does al Jean. it was like mm-hmm. a nice comedy factory it was a nine-to-five job there was no drama the actors Hated it, right? And I don't know if the guy who created the show was happy, but it was like a like the head writer ran a very nice writers' room. Apparently, it's good to hear. Yeah. I know Jerry Stahl was going through some stuff during that. Oh right? yeah, permanent midnight and all that. Oh, that was him. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. That was like Ben Stiller thought he'd get an Oscar kind of movie there, which I I watched it thinking it was going to be a comedy, and then I was like, oh no, this is uh, the dark midnight <laughs> of the soul kind of movie. But then uh, Andy Dick appears for like two minutes in it, doing just silly. It becomes a comedy movie when he appears as like a recovering addict in the movie it's it's really weird to rewatch that <laughs> i just realized though like how many formative things were from 30 years ago because mm. i just saw that the 30th anniversary of they might be giants flood yeah was out and that was like the biggest album of my you know i think mm. we were just at the right age i was like 12 at that time so batman came out the summer before that the simpsons came out that christmas 
Flood came out in April, I think, and yeah. it was, and then Alpha that was, was the year you became strong. a man. It was, yeah, <laughs> Mario three. Uh, oh, Mario, Mario three. Was that your yeah. Yeah. Oh, was Mario a game three. Yep. Yeah, that, that'll be in the history, you know, like a couple episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the Flood album. It's funny. I Flood is one of the most important albums to me as a kid too, but I didn't hear it until they made their appearance on Tiny Tunes, and then I got the album afterwards because, like, that's where the two songs were on. Yeah, but, me too. Yeah, when it hit the 30th anniversary, I just pulled it up on youtube and was like i'll just listen to the whole thing and just get transported back to a a lonely nerdy childhood <laughs> uh but a happy one uh but yeah this uh, so this episode of the simpsons it is they remark on the commentary that this is all wrong everything's wrong about every character in it because it's homer is embarrassed by the family and he tries to make them all improve and also marge gets drunk and acts yeah. up yeah it's it's everything's wrong it's, I, you know i was expecting to hate it you know hmm. because i because season one i never watch and i but you know what i felt like there were some redeemable things about this episode mm-hmm. the really way that, that it ends the way that the whole thing ends with them being brought together by failing and then going out and buying a huge tv yeah. like that's yeah that is a big theme in the first season is a uh, success through failure yeah and this feels like a pilot for a different version of the show based on the shorts it feels like this could have been a different series altogether with these different relationships like lisa is barely figured out marge is uh, just as lazy and drunk as homer would be in the future <laughs> it's very weird and yeah. hideous clothes they've got on in this episode. You can totally see that Gina Reese had just watched the shorts and they're like, oh, this is what Simpsons is. It's the shorts. We'll just expand a little bit on that. Like, that's why Bart and Lisa are just doing crazy. Like, the stuff they do at Party is basically them in the shorts where they become the uh, the jungle people or they just do crazy crap in that one. And then the, the, the shorts, pagans, yeah. the pagan fun episode. At, at best in the shorts, like Lisa was just a little smarter than Bart or could at least like outsmart him. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't like the super sensitive genius that we would know her as in the future and did homer in the shorts not that he isn't kind of stupid in the shorts but he's much more just this force of order like he is in this of like hey family we're gonna do this like uh that he hasn't full he hasn't anywhere near the stupidity or laziness that we define homer as but uh, it is fun to return to these episodes and this is also like i think when they're finally starting to get the animation the way they want it to be like this is the fourth in production i think it is so they correct uh they correct smithers the backgrounds are a little more together there's still some wild looking characters in the background but mostly they've got their stuff figured out i think yeah and i feel like this is a testament to for tv shows to give a uh, or for, for executives to give a TV show more than one season, mm-hmm. you know, because I could, I, th- I feel like in this day and age they would have canceled this after season one. If, and I don't think they would have given a second chance. If it hadn't sold all the merch, it was oh, just done. Uh, like, yeah. That's the only, I mean, yeah, I think uh, that nothing gets a kind of, uh, that much of a chance these days. No. They're like, our Simpsons pants sales are through the roof. we got to keep the show on the air. Bart's buying everything. <laughs> but have you ever seen, like, in a TV show, a jump from season one to season two so extreme? Because season two is fantastic. Yeah, mm. no, I think um, it's hard to imagine. Maybe Seinfeld? Really... Yeah, they, well, because Seinfeld's like six episodes. Like, it in the U.S. office are both like, they're such mini seasons. They're same with Parks and Rec. They're just these mini practice seasons. And then the season two's the real first season in a lot of ways. I think like, the difference yeah. is, is that uh, in season one, they were learning to do this for the first time when like with Seinfeld and, you know, Married with Children and other shows that improved, they had made sitcoms before. But these people were learning how to make an animated sitcom for the first oh. time, which is why like season one was training season two is like okay we know how to do this and here's what works here's what doesn't 
And uh, yeah, this episode begins with them getting ready for the big party at Mr. Burns's place. I think they, uh, Gene and Reese, the second they saw like Mr. Burns was such a big part of Homer's Odyssey, they're like, "We gotta put this guy. Like, we're already into this guy. We're gonna start at Mr. Burns's home and just dig in there." And apparently, he was not uh, named. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. they didn't have a name for him because so a lot of Simpsons season one characters we talked about it before they have really embarrassing names based on who they are. And uh, the working name for Mr. Burns, according to Al Jean, was Mr. Meanie, like M E A N Y. Yeah, it's because he was a mean boss. Yeah, I guess they should have got Kevin Meanie to voice him. Oh, that would be great. (laughs) R.I.P. R.I.P. But yeah, and Homer also enters the first scene wearing a striped shirt that like he would never ever wear. It it it, like blinded me the second (laughs) I saw that striped shirt. I thought that was like his company picnic wear. You know, (laughs) like that would be company picnic Homer in the uh, the. Figure line. Oh, yes, yeah. oh wow, they could sell that variance. <laughs> well, and also like Homer almost never wears shorts either. Like it's just it it makes sense. It's like yeah, it's your dad at the company picnic. He wears shorts and a polo shirt. But yeah, in in design and actual action, it just is glaring and crazy looking. I think between this and the uh, the Jello molds, it's really drawing upon like the '60s dad mm. stuff from the shorts. And in the early season one. Yeah, it's what all the writers grew up with their parents doing. And I think company picnics were kind of an antiquated thing, too. I mean, maybe mm. not, but I mean, I remember my dad going to some in the 80s. And, uh, and the one thing I remember is he won a Laserdisc player at one of them. Oh, uh, nice. But, but uh, Mr. Mom was, they had a big thing where they couldn't let the boss win the sack race or the, the relay race, too. And Michael Keaton had to, like, he, he wanted to win the race, but then he had to kind of make it so that his boss, Mark, and mole one and oh, th- so wow. that just must have been a trope or oh, something yeah, impressing the boss the boss is coming over for dinner like that's oh, yeah. the biggest like yes. sitcom trope yeah. of all time you're right it is a little bit of a cliche in yeah. this case and like future burns would never have anyone over to his property there would never, never be a company no picnic no. on his, yeah, uh, on his right. grounds uh, i mean that uh, yeah just seeing people milling about his home i'm just like what is happening here they'd be in cages for, <laughs> like season three mr burns would have cr- caged every single one of them <laughs> i wonder if that was the first mention of the hounds too i feel like maybe oh. that episode is the first time he ever mentioned the it, hounds. it is this definitely yes. is yeah, yeah. so they, uh, they have a lot of him figured out right now uh yeah yeah but actually here let's hear our first clip here of uh everyone getting ready for the picnic hey what's the problem here we were fighting over which one of us loves you more you were oh well go ahead you love him more. No, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, uh, I don't. Look, you'd better get this all out of your system right now. I don't want you embarrassing me at my boss's picnic. Mmm, marshmallow. Homer? I'm trying to get at least some of the unfortunate noises out of my system while I can, Marge. I don't want to embarrass myself at the company picnic. <laughs> Are you sure that's enough? You know how the boss loves your delicious gelatin desserts? No, Homer. Mr. Burns just said he liked it. Once. Marge, that's the only time he's ever spoken to me without using the word bonehead. (laughs) So you guys are both from the the Midwest, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you were watching this in 1990, were you aware of these uh, weird jello desserts with things floating in them? I had no idea. Absolutely. I worked worked at a grocery store. Wow. I I didn't even know about these until much later in life. I had no idea what this was supposed to be. A Midwestern deli in a a grocery store in a Piggly Wiggly, it's just, it's all different kinds of marshmallow gelatins. Mm. And yeah, yeah. 
I, I might was, be, yeah. yeah, I might be misremembering this, but I remember my grandmother would make those Jellimos, and she would make an orange one that I believe had celery in it. Oh, yeah, is wow. that a thing, or am I? If you, uh, I imagine that. I think yeah. it is. I think that they had all sorts. They they went batshit with that with the <laughs> gelatin, like they yeah. I mean, in the, in the 60s, that looks magical. You yes. Know? Yeah. yeah. I think it's more about the look of it than it is mm. the taste of it. Yeah. If you go to the, I think the Twitter kind of 70s dinner party, you could see that at a point in time, they thought like Jello was the end of desserts. Like there will be <laughs> nothing more than this. So they're putting everything in it, like meat and celery and all kinds of disgusting, mayonnaise. Disgusting, oh, disgusting oh, things. Yeah. More yeah. disgusting than they show last Sorry, Henry. Well, <laughs> 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 oh, let's not go that far. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, speaking of gross, like Homer reaching into it to pull out just one marshmallow and eat it. And it retains its shape. Yeah. And, then, and then burping immediately after. Uh, yeah. I, uh, that's the first time Homer has burped in the series, but he did burp at least once in the shorts at the it's the punchline at the burping contest uh, Ullman uh, shorts as Homer comes in and burps. God, to hear a burp on TV in 1990, only on Fox. I'm not even kidding. It just seems like that, that felt like a, they were like, you know, crossing the line. Even the kids fighting over not wanting to love their dad more. Yes. I mean, the, it's, it's easy, like... I, and this is like very old man, you know, gazing back. But like that was so refreshing. Not only was mm-hmm. it like just seeing funny drawings animated as a as you know a, at an influential age is is fun to watch. But mm-hmm. like that sort of subversiveness was pretty rare. But, and mm-hmm. and like it's weird because like if I remember my dad and people saying like, oh, you got to watch Lenny Bruce, and then kind of being like, eh. You know, <laughs> Mark Saul, they've got a newspaper uh, out, but they're like, no, but at the time that was revolutionary. But, but they did something different because Married with Children was also subversive like that. The, yeah. the kids would bicker about who hated their dad more, you right. know, but like, I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. This Maybe is more, the fact that it's animated or... I think it's more cleverly presented in a way. Like, uh, Married with Children would have just been like, you love dad more. No, you do. But instead, they start with like, no, you, no, you. Yeah, yeah. And There's more of a Harvard oh, zing right. to it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think yeah. Married with Children primed the audience for like a crude, uh, hateful family. <laughs> <laughs> Simpson seems kind of sweet by comparison. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys watch that show? Married oh, with Children? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah. Oh, really? Constantly, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, listeners have heard this story before. I got in trouble for quoting Married with Children as a child in class because I didn't know what the word slut meant, but it was said on the show, and I said it in class and got in a lot of trouble. You probably got some laughs, though, right? Uh, I think that I would hope the teacher at least stifled a laugh. That's important. That. Now, on the same night as the Christmas special first aired, there was a two-parter uh, Married with Children special, and I watched it again last month, and I was like, I can't believe my parents let me watch this. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just like, it's irresponsible. No child should see Sam Kinison that much no. at, that, at that age. Nick, your family didn't watch it. You're, you're a comedy family. Yeah, and, no. But, Married with Children was not... I mean, it it's not like it wasn't allowed, but it was not a show. My parents thought it was was vulgar and dumb, so we didn't watch it. But uh, I'm guessing it doesn't hold up, right? Or uh, I actually was surprised at how funny and well written it was. Really? Going back like recently to watch a few, yeah, it wasn't the toilet flushing uh, show yeah. as The Simpsons would have you believe. No pig. <laughs> uh, and I, I looked this up on Frankieck. No time has Burns ever called Homer Bonehead. He's never said bonehead. that. Uh, he has though. Carl does call Homer a bonehead head in the episode hello gutter hello fodder where homer bowls the 300 in season 11 it's another so. uh, famous homer suicide attempt i believe <laughs> it, in that yes, episode yes acts two ends with homer trying to kill himself <laughs> yeah i'm so impressed with you how, how oh, do you, you remember the bone you remember the bone headline That's, uh, i just tip my hat to you uh, i just want to take this moment to tip my hat to oh, you thank you thank you <laughs> joe's not wearing a hat <laughs> no, 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 no. uh the the simpsons then arrive at burns's place and this is like this is also the first citizen kane burns 
Friends reference the show did too. Like it's it's really Xanadu, like the reveal of it. Though and they, also, they do much more involved Xanadu references later. It's also mixed with like a reference to Batman, the TV yeah, show. Yeah, he says Stately Burns Manor. Yeah, so. like Stately Wayne Manor. Which like is, yeah, Citizen Kane and Batman references would define Simpsons for many many years to come in the show, especially Citizen Kane. But uh, and then there's also another like cute line of Homer saying like I want your love and or respect and that part's like I'm picking respect. <laughs> That's this. There's cleverness in this yeah. episode for sure. Uh, and so the family comes into Burns's place. Uh, he welcomes them and like the family that Burns fires for not being um, properly uh, respectful. Like they they also are very crazy looking. Their hairline is really nuts. I think. Yeah. And the, kid, the kid's voice is somebody else's. Mm. Who's uh, whose was it? Was it? Uh... I Ralph think it's Pamela Hayden, it sounded like yeah. to me. He's got that weird, like, Archie hash mark in his head, too, yeah, that kid. It's yeah. weird. And then the yeah. flesh hair, the flesh-colored mm-hmm. hair. Yeah. Never good. Uh, but, yes, we get to also see the first white Smithers uh, during this next clip. Uh, afternoon, Mr. Burns. Ah, hello there. Uh, uh, Simpson. Homer. Here you go, sir. Ah. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, and this must be your lovely wife, Marge. Oh, and look at little uh, Elisa. Why, she's growing like a weed. And this must be, uh, Brat. Bart. Don't correct the man, Brat. Oh, boss, look what we brought. Gelatin dessert. Do oh, for the love of Peter. That's all anybody brought. Some damn fool went around telling everyone I love that slimy goop. Well, toss it in the pile over there. <laughs> and make yourselves at home. You're that, Dad? You can lie around in your underwear and scratch yourself. Now you listen to me. Whoa. Trouble, Simpson? No. <laughs> Just congratulating the son on a fine joke about his old man. Homer would have been fired for strangling his son in front of his boss, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he was right to uh, yeah. not do that. Mr. Burns hates children. I he guess, could have appreciated yeah. it. Well, Mr. Burns is making an effort, though. He's trying to get the... I mean, it's a softer, gentler... It's not, I want to I club them and eat their bones. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, it went a long way. This a uh, Burns who says make yourself at home to guests. That's yeah. not that isn't him at all. And the card reading thing I think is a Reagan poll where Reagan yeah. would have like because his brain was dying <laughs> as many famous politicians' brains are dying. Mm-hmm. He would have information about people written on cards to rem- to remind himself. So yeah, but I mean his voice isn't fully Reagan yet either though Burns. It's uh, it's close getting closer with this. Well, not all the way there. So yeah, this this Smithers is post Black Smithers, but he doesn't have his brown. Coat coat yet or his gray hair it's still, still blue hair too. like lab assistant smithers yeah it's so the it, so this is really where smithers smithers goes through such a change in his three appearances from homer's odyssey to this and then telltale head because in homer's odyssey he's basically a lab technician who like presents the kids stuff in this one he really is the toady to burns and then in the next one is when he admits he is he is in love with burns it's the first joke about him being in love with is burns. it always the same voice yeah it's always the same voice uh harry he's doing and he figured it out from the beginning yeah Mm -hmm. even when it's black smithers it's still the same yes yeah yeah at uh, i think i think that was the first african-american character harry Shearer voiced in the show one of many carl didn't get a line for a while there and then there's hibbert yeah oh yes yeah which uh, that's based on julia sweeney but that's a that's another i thought it was based on bill cosby (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
<laughs> well, <laughs> let's not talk about him. Uh, but also, yeah, the giant pile of Jello desserts. That's pretty fun. Great too, foley but, on that. Yeah. I don't know what made that noise, but it's uh, it's very good. <laughs> Sounds like uh, the sheet of metal. I just imagine the sheet oh, of metal yeah. you see in the videos of like, and this is the thunder. <laughs> Old timey radio. <laughs> <laughs> then the kids just go running wild. That is where it really feels like they're just taking from the shorts and they're like, oh, well, what are they doing the shorts? Well, they did this. Then Marge, meanwhile, like meets another wife. Like it hit me here of like nobody, none of Homer's coworkers in the future all, any of them seem to be married. They all are apparently single, but this is like 80 different wives at the company picnic. Yeah, none of these, I mean, we don't have the normal cast of co-workers yet. No, not even Charlie's there yet. They, I think Lenny will appear in uh, the Life in the Fast Lane. I think that's his hmm. first one. I think that's why Homer doesn't talk to anyone at this party. <laughs> you just don't see him anywhere outside of chasing Bart and Lisa around. Yeah, and uh, I don't, you know... Burns really trades up later. He has goose here, geeses here, but he'll have peacocks in the future that uh, that Homer will step on and kill. These are swans. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. All right, that's fancier. <laughs> that is fancier. I yeah, and Lisa, Lisa is just crazy here too. She's she has like one smart line later in it, but mostly she's just as uh, as rambunctious as that Bart Simpson. <laughs> So then, as Homer catches Bart, they are sent to their mandatory sack race uh, against them. I I do think I did go to a one year my dad's work did a company picnic as a kid, and we went to that. I think I tried to avoid as much physical activity as possible there. But uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Like you, you guys both worked for a, a video game website. I like website. A press website. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you imagine if that company had a picnic? Like, <laughs> I just try to think of any job I had having a picnic. Like a Christmas party They probably was did a like stretch. a holiday party or a Christmas yeah. party. There'd be like right. free bagels the day before you left for Christmas. That's basically <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know... No sack races? <laughs> no sack races. Uh, the last place me and Bob worked at had a Christmas party planned, but then on like December 1st, they laid off 20% of the employees and they're like, anybody, everybody's left, we're not doing a Christmas party. It's a uh, Christmas party's over. Actually, we did, it wasn't exactly field day, but it was like what Burns did in that, uh, it was before you came on there, Bob, but we did have a boss who was like, oh, come to my mansion, check it out, like, we'll have a day at the mansion, and it really did just feel like he was trying to put us in our place kind of thing, not really, it wasn't, it wasn't very fun, it felt like. <laughs> Uh, maybe he was trying to be fun, but uh, but we didn't have enforced uh, sack races, which like the again a, a real cavalcade of freaks uh, in the lineup for the sack. No no employees we ever see again. I've never done the sack race. I've done the three legged race, mm. which I think is a cousin to the sack race. But I'd, I'd rather do a three legged race. I mean, in that case, you only need like rope instead of like what like fifty yeah, burlap sacks. I remember using a burlap sack, putting the burlap sack your legs together oh, and okay. walking like that but way. this is yeah. not that i was wondering like how does the father-son thing fit in are they together i guess it's they... fathers and right. sons are all competing there okay, but it but, has to be fathers but against mr burns yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that also i where's guess larry where's larry burns <laughs> i guess also with like the uh it feels very old-timey in that it's like uh just a father and son thing not like parent and child it's it's, right. a, it's a more old-timey gendered uh, thing there too uh but i like that there's the exception that everybody knows burns is supposed to cheat it's just fully agreed upon uh but i and then bart being the rascal he is won't let that stand whoops gotcha whoa careful dad blow a gasket you lose your job now hear this the father-son sack race will begin in five minutes on the north lawn participation is mandatory repeat mandatory that is all 
You remember the rules from last year? Yeah. Shut my mouth and let your boss win. Hey! I don't know who to love more. My son Joshua, who's captain of the football team, or my daughter Amber, who got the lead in the school play. Usually, I use their grades as a tiebreaker. They both got straight A's this term, so what's a mother to do? Mm-hmm. Well, I sense greatness in my family. Your family? Well, it's a greatness that others can't see, but it's there, and if it's not true greatness we have, we're at least average. I don't want to alarm anyone, but I think there's a little Apke call in this punch. Really distracted by all the circus music oh, in the background. Sucked. Yeah. I never noticed it the, until the music. The music in this episode is weird too. Once, mm-hmm. once we get up to the waiting room, there's that uh, "Love Is Blue" song. Yeah. Is in there. For some reason, they use that song. Yeah. Uh, a big trademark of this season is just constant background music, often library stuff, often licensed music. They were just overthinking it, but yeah, they're just like, we need sounds constantly. Yeah. We can't just have any silence. There needs to be. The footsteps uh. are loud. Everything is squishy and squeaky. Maggie is sucking over dialogue. It's uh, <laughs> it's a noisy. Show. Show. Uh, I I don't want to be meaner to uh, to original composer Richard Gibb, but that that music in the background is just so distracting here. Yeah, but I guess it's not to notice. I never noticed it when it was. I was seeing the visual at the same time, but just in this audio version, like God, that music I behind Mars. Couldn't even hear the dialogue. I was just fixated <laughs> on that music. Was Richard Gibb? Was he in all the? Uh, was that just a season one guy? Just or was season one. one. Oh, okay. Yeah. He he came over from Ullman to do this, and then uh, after season one, they got Alf Clausen. Yeah. They'd, they'd have until they uh, fired him three years ago, I think. Who like, also uh, wrote music for Alf? Yeah, he, did. he really yeah. did. The perfect Alf choice. On Alf. But Richard Gibb probably didn't know how to do animation, right? Oh, he wasn't an I animation so. guy. So. Yeah. So, I think, in his def- I'm defending Richard. Oh Gibb yeah, <laughs> no. I think in his case, it was just like, hey, you you were the composer on Tracy Ullman. This is a Tracy Ullman spinoff. Just you know, do this. Like, yeah, I, I I don't blame him for not getting it. You know, it was the first time anybody on the show had done anything like it. So yeah, yeah. Homer grabbing away Bart there to uh, do it. Also, the Marge Marge meaning the the mother of the pretty baby that they just leave in front of the TV. That's a funny joke there too. Yeah. And we get to see the happy little elves for for just a second. Another season one favorites there. Yeah, Marge just getting drunk. It's uh, I feel like she's gotten drunk like four times ever in the show. She really does not. It's drink. always very funny. They play this one clip all the time at the Simpsons Land. It's the one where she gets drunk on Long Island Ice Teas. Oh yeah, that one's yeah. really funny. That was constantly that, yeah. that was in a loop there. <laughs> they should be selling Long Island Ice Teas then at the at Simpsons Land. Duff Gardens over there in that yeah. area. Yeah. Have you guys ever been to the Universal? Yeah, City? yeah. Oh, I went great. a couple years ago. Yeah, I've, I've been a couple times. And uh, oh yeah, it was Ho- fantastic. Hollywood or Orlando? Uh, Orlando. Oh wow, yeah. yeah that's uh, I, now I've been to Hollywood more times in Orlando. It's uh, I don't know which I like. More. I think Orlando's got more food things there. Like you can eat at the Frying Dutchman in Orlando. Mm. My only complaint is that Moe's is not a real bar. I mean, you can eh. order beer there, but it comes in a plastic cup and there are kids everywhere. I wanted that to be like the 21 and up zone, Moe's Tavern. <laughs> Wasn't dank enough for me. That's not enough dank. Yeah. No yeah. pee smell. <laughs> and the less said about the color of the flaming mo, the better at that place. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started. Orange? <laughs> it's orange and non alcoholic. I mean, come on. You have to bring uh, your own cough syrup from home. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you, know, you know what else is weird is yeah. to hear a, a southern accent in uh, yeah. the Simpsons. You don't, you don't really hear southern accents that often. And, unless true. it's elitist. Unless it's mocking oh. the entire South as, <laughs> yeah. as uh, inbred rednecks. The rich Texan, I guess. Yeah, or right? that's, that's about it. Like a crazy millionaire or the poorest uh, white trash <laughs> yeah, has yeah. a southern accent in the show. 
Yeah, actually having a fancy woman or a woman who's stationed above Marge have a southern accent. That You're right. That's very different voice casting than they yeah, normally do. Yeah. I like her humble bragging thing, too, though. That also feels like more from a live action sitcom of this just kind of dialogue of manners of just like Marge having to hear someone else brag. And she's like, well, my family's good, too. Like This was yeah. a simpler time, too. Was the joke that uh, they were kind of trying to cover up their drinking or did they know mm. or what? Because like, let's have some punch in Big Cool quotes you know yeah i guess i guess i'd see it as they're all the women they can't just drink wine at the thing they don't want to be obviously drinking so just one woman spiked the punch and they're all just getting drunk together but in a more feminine feminized setting that mm. it's okay for them to do society. it wasn't like protecting children from that right i mean like we're like sensory and alcohol oh you kids. know maybe, yeah, maybe. I, don't know. I feel like adults were just constantly drunk around me all the time as a kid there was nothing to hide well now that now everybody like like Kathy Lee and Hoda would always like drink wine. <laughs> oh God, and, you yeah. know, like they're always getting drunk. On they celebrate their wine daytimes quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I go to a lot of uh, breweries, and as a childless person, there are kids everywhere. Why are people bringing their families to breweries? Oh, yeah. The kids are got they got to be bored. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Maybe they've got root beer for them, you know. Throw them a bone. There should be a separate pen for them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I like how the second they turn on the TV with the happy little elves, the kids are all just mesmerized. They do not move anytime after that. Like, that's. an early kind of statement about the power of television, they, I guess. They the ripped show. that uh, joke off on Rugrats, I just realized. A lot where, of where season the, one uh, was ripped off for Rugrats. The dummy bears in Rugrats are the happy little elf stand-in. And there's a joke about like a parent turning on the TV as the babysitter. And it's just, it's this stupid, like, wow. treacle. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But, it's but that's the truth, though, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, with my niece and nephew, they turn on these YouTube videos and they're just zoned in. Have you ever seen the, the they like open up eggs or something like that? Oh, Have like a kinder egg. Yeah. Yeah. Kinder egg thing. Yeah. Mesmerized, <laughs> hypnotized into this. I, you know, from a certain vantage point, I am jealous because, like, when I was seven, six or seven, if there was a TV show that was only opening Transformer toys, I would have watched it all day long. Yeah, I mean, there are there are like child millionaires on YouTube who are just filming themselves playing with toys and opening toys, and they have more money than uh, all of us put together. <laughs> let's let's do a spec script for season thirty-two where Maggie is transfixed by a Kinder Egg opening. Oh, there we go. Totally. That's that's at least. Right the itself. one after the show yeah. there yeah uh, the, yeah the kids i mean i though too was my mom told me like i was always mesmerized by the tv as a kid too like i watched it every second i could yeah, yeah. i mean i had a working mom uh single mom and i probably watched like nine hours of tv a day until the <laughs> internet came around and that was my new fixation remember, so. what, remember when everybody said that that was bad for you yeah and you know to watch all that and i know so many people myself included who watched eight hours a day and were all Functioning, my eyes work perfectly. Yeah, exactly. I have glasses, <laughs> and, and we have good jobs, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, you guys man. have the greatest job in the world. Oh, well, so, thank uh, you. <laughs> I, I, I think we're tied. I think we're all tied. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> you guys. I man, to be surrounded by VHSs all day and just a new a new magic oh, to find. Everything. The moral of the story is: have your kids watch lots of TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when the economy collapses, they can make their own job. Yeah, that's the ultimate <laughs> yeah. moral. <laughs> They all get drunk while, meanwhile, uh, the the game is played and uh, they have to let Burns win, which it's it's funny that even like, so Bart jumps ahead of all of them, gets way in the lead, and they still are all like in such a 
level of deniability that they're like, well, no, Burns obviously won. They just ignore that Homer tackled his son to prevent him from winning, and they treat Burns like he won. And that led to a very weird image you you tweeted out last yeah, night. Yeah, the, the shot of like Burns like raising his hands, and it goes on for too long, and I think they put dialogue over it to sort of make it less weird, but I just tweeted it out. I frinkyacked the gif, and it has like 100 retweets and 900 uh, likes. Like people, this haunted other people too. This like weird Burns like raising the roof animation. <laughs> <laughs> his images it's, yeah it's, ve- so it's very it's very strange oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah. odd uh that the, very weird and he hey, says like those one eh? what was one this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and the people behind him are quite freakish too yeah but, but the yeah. burn cycle is so distracting it's too fluid like the hand motion is too fluid it's like he's rotoscoped or something uh and his tackling of bart also looks very painful as well and, and you know what i've noticed there's a lot of like bart like people in this world like that bottom right of oh the, yeah of that get of the gif well that was a rule they'd later institute it's like no one can have like the flesh hair or you know bart or lisa spiky hair just even in the opening theme there was an adult with the yeah yeah (laughs) like the adult bart at the bus stop yeah 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 Yeah. or at the later in most tavern there's uh one of the patrons at the bar also is just like he's a a lighter toned bart with like his hair slicked back yeah Yeah. and barney had the flesh hair too Mm -hmm. in the beginning uh but yes uh homer prevents bart from winning while marge is having quite a time Close one this year. <laughs> You'll be sitting enjoying the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. He's here on the rest, my one and only. Goodbye, friends, and don't be lonely. Marge, I need you. Hey, did you try the punch? Snap out of it, Marge. You've got to come with me. The boss is going to make a toast. Well, I'm not much of a drinker. Why, you picked the perfect time to start... <laughs> oh, it sounds like he's gonna say you. Like, he's got uh, he's got something primed up there to call Marge. I guess if you don't count uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, this is the first song in The Simpsons. Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, even though neither one is original. This is a Dean Martin song. Do we have a clip of that? Uh, yes, this was uh, made famous by Dean Martin. It's Hey Brother, Pour the Wine. Here we sit enjoying the shade. Hey brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey brother. Tell you why the day is sunny I'm in love with lips of honey Will you see the way she walks Hey brother, pour the wine it's funny. Oh, it's a yeah. great song. Yeah. It's, it's like a lusty male song that a very masculine bro down song that Marge is singing. And I have to <laughs> wonder if Julie Kavner knew how much she'd be singing in this voice mm, when yeah. she started doing this role. Because what's the name of that song? I'm going to write it down. Hey, hey brother. brother. Pour the wine. Pour the wine. Jinx. You asked the hive minds. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, that song was written by the original David Seville, Ross Bagdasarian. Oh. Of, uh, yeah, the, Alvin and the Chipmunks? The Alvin and the Chipmunks oh. creator, witch doctor, singer, songwriter, Ross Bagdasarian. He wrote this one uh, before that. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's such an easy... I, I wonder if he wrote it for Dean Martin or once he finished it, he's like, this song about drinking. All right, Dean Martin. He's my number one pick. <laughs> Did that song make it on any of the Simpson compilations, like Simpson Sings the Blues? I don't know. The, it should have. I don't think it made it onto the uh, the TV albums. I think it's a, it's a licensed song, so they didn't want to pay oh, for it. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I was wondering in, in rewatching this, if they would, you know, in like Simpson season three through like 12, would they take that leap from reality the way they, like, I've, I felt like they're still figuring out the tone. Like, mm-hmm. what? 
was was they, were they really doing this coordinated dance number, or was that a fantasy sequence from Marge's <laughs> point of view? Because, like, you know, like, what is the reality, you know? Yeah. That's a good question, yeah. Is I have it, to imagine Marge is just stumbling around, and she's just imagining this uh, <laughs> beautiful dance sequence. I think in season one, it's supposed to feel like that, yeah. And I mean, you know, in... Season six, we'll have the See My Vest song, which is supposed to be like reality that Bart and Lisa is watching. But in this case, yeah, I think they it's more a fantasy in Marge's drunken imagination. I guess Bart and Milhouse go on the squishy bender, and so yeah. there's some there's some drug or drunk drunken <laughs> flights of uh, fantasy in that. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, or well, they're not drunk; they're they're high on sugar, right? right. And yeah. they see cats, which has never been more popular. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then. We get Burns's uh, toast, which has uh, what would become his catchphrase for a time, I think. Musicians, cease that infernal tootling. Thank you all uh, for coming. March, knock it off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. March. But now it's time to say goodbye. Please get off my property until next year. I suggest you don't dawdle. The hounds will be released in ten minutes. So there it is, the first releasing of hounds reference on the show, which uh, I think by season ten they make a joke that like, oh, the hounds should be released and killing you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I think it's the last time they did a hounds being released gag. The funniest part uh, about that to me, and one thing that always made me laugh in The Simpsons, is the dumb crowd think and mm. the mobs reacting to things. So, like, he's saying, I'm going to release the hounds and you leave, and they all applaud. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, it, it's like, give, give us, us hell, Quimby. Or just tell us what to do and we'll vote for it. You know, it's just like, I love the dumb mob that's easily swayed by things and, and you know. Yeah, they, I, yeah. they, they don't uh, slow down clapping or seem to realize what he said means they'll be torn apart by dogs in 10 minutes i think by season three there would be no empty threat he would just release the hounds on them mm-hmm. yeah they i mean they wouldn't have gotten on the property like well if you remember the thanksgiving one even and that's not too many episodes after mm. this one he he releases the hounds on bart for just being there he's like oh a child's here all the hounds on this kid right now kill kill him kill the, him. the, the line of infernal tootling is mm. is probably my favorite line in the entire episode oh yeah tootling. Yeah, you, yeah yeah <laughs> tootling <laughs> <laughs> they're having fun. Uh, they're having fun with Burns with old timey words for the first time. I yes. think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. This Burns is way the Burns. Other than his line in the last episode, uh, Homer's Odyssey, where he first appeared and he says, "Like I haven't seen this kind of thing since Jolson." Other than that, he doesn't really have many like old man kind of things. This this is much more the the goofy old man, or well, the angry mean old man that uh, that Burns is. And uh, in all these writers in this first season, they were all baby boomers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were. Yeah, there's oh, no sure, gen, yeah. yeah, there's no I guess Gen X was watching the uh, Simpsons at this point. Yeah, I think I think uh Oakley Weinstein must have been the first Gen X uh yeah. hires They're on like, the show. So I think like sixty six counts as Gen X if you're born in sixty six, that's mm-hmm. when they were born. Oh, and yeah. I think by like uh five and six and seven they're starting to get more Gen Xers and they're like yeah. David Cohen too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to think that's why my dad liked this so much. It <laughs> spoke to him, like this infernal tootling and you know. <laughs> no, my mom got all the jokes in it. She I mean I was it was helpful 
for me to have my mom there watching with me because she could just explain uh, references that made no sense to a seven-year-old who was just enjoying watching the Bart show for all the Bart fun. And I remember your dad always loved like the turns of phrase. Like he would just get stuck on one line. He from still a does episode. to this yeah. day. Rich like, Creamery Butter. The you one mentioned those, yeah. Rich Creamery Butter. Oh, he talks about Rich Creamery Butter. Anytime there's butter on the table, it's Rich Creamery Butter. Aww. Yeah, <laughs> that's sweet. Oh, and, and on birthdays, it's always uh, Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, boy or girl. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we do that for every yeah. birthday. Uh, I love that. I love your family. That's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, so then they're leaving, and there we get to meet like the proto Flanders family there like Flanders exists in season one but he's the we've talked about before he's a yuppie like he's not yeah. the the perfect angel family and these are the Gamels yes yeah named, named after Tom Gamble <laughs> Tom Gamble uh, he's got a very interesting voice Tom yeah Gamble. he was a writer friend of Gina Reese from their previous work and then by season 10 or 11 Tom Gamble and Max Pross his co-writer they get hired on to the Simpsons finally like the Gamels and also Professor Franker named after writers who would later then join the show. So the gag of Homer paying Bart to kiss him, it did it feels even weirder now. Like, oh, father paying his son to kiss him. That seems <laughs> odd. <laughs> but um, the, in the script, there's two bits in it they talk about where they, they seem to think they were writing for a cartoon show. So they're like, we need cartoonier directions. So they mentioned in the commentary that one, the, the fight between Bart and Lisa in their script, they're like, oh, you know, a big cloud with fists flying out of it. Like, uh, that's what their fight is. And they wrote that Bart turns like green and then plaid and disgusted at the idea of kissing Homer. And and that got just like sliced out of the script. They're like, no, that's not that's not what we're going for on this show. Yeah, it seems like Matt Groening had pretty strict ideas about that from the beginning. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, he hated seeing even like too many tears. Like that's a cartoony amount of tears. Too <laughs> ba- too many. I think he made the right choice with the color thing there. Yeah. But what do you you mean? Like he likes he liked things to be realistic. You mean uh, like he didn't want like Snoopy tears coming out? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. He had the term uh, rubber band reality, where things can pull back so far before they snap back to like consistency. And I guess like some things were too extreme for him, mm-hmm, but yeah. I think he was often like way too rigid about certain things. I, I think so, sometimes. which sort of uh, made the show a little stiffer, and not as fun to watch over time. I watched a, a roundtable on YouTube with Conan and a bunch of the old writers, and one guy I can't remember who it was, but he was talking shit about graining, or he was like maybe being more passive aggressive, talking mm-hmm. about like, well, man, I, was would, just, like, I would bet that's Jay Kogan. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was. I mean, yeah, the he's... phrase is uh, graining rhymes with complaining, so. <laughs> No, I heard the, yeah, I remember that interview because that was the first time I'd seen any of the writers talk about how Tracy Ullman sued them for money for the for the show. And Kogan was like, yeah, she sued us. Like, screw her. I think it was just kind of sentiment. And Al Jean was like, yeah, I'm not touching that. That's all you. That's all you, Kogan. I think Wait, was, was it that he was a, a ball, was he a, a bad boss or was he just opinionated and just wouldn't budge, stubborn? Think, or like, what was uh, he seems like not a, a bad boss, but I think he just has very specific views of what he wants animation-wise. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. think early on, before they knew it would be a hit, he thought, like, this is my one break. This is my one shot to make a TV show, and I don't want it to get messed up. So that's why he was very strident. And I think comedy writers hate authority. I mean, they're oh, going yes. to yeah. hate the man in charge no matter what and complain about him. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think um, it, it was good to have that um, guiding force that was strict, because especially in things that... Um, have now evolved like sensitivity, cultural sensitivities, and things like that. He was way the head of the game in yeah. terms of being a Portland, you know, yeah. uh, bleeding heart, and and so like <laughs> now the uh, all that stuff has caught up, and I think The Simpsons holds up better than a lot of shows because of 
graining sort of guiding yeah, you know, his I think, rules. I think so too. Yeah, I and and part of that I we heard that graining Rodman's complaining thing when we interviewed a guy who worked on the earliest Simpsons games and got to hear all the rules Matt Graining had of like, well, no, Bart looks like this or Bart does this. So, uh, but I think I like that he was so invested in his his project, and I wonder too if sometimes those I love all the old sitcom writers there, but I could also see that like they graining didn't go through the system like they did like he didn't have the pedigree of like well i was an assistant producer here and then i was an associate producer and then a producer and then story editor and then showrunner here he is like this is a guy who went from cartoonist to shorts on tracy ullman to showrunner and so i i could see that causing a little like you know friction with with some of the other folks in the staff yeah well i mean the seasons were defined by like the battle between sam simon and matt graining mm-hmm. for who controls yeah. the show kind of then too and, and sam uh, won the apu battle he, he did win that apu <laughs> battle i also do like the gag that homer after he bribes bart burns judges that as like what a guy trying to suck up to me even though he's surrounded by suck ups he does not notice but and Smithers immediately sucks up to him and he doesn't notice. <laughs> Uh, was that an intentional joke? I think, think so. so. Yeah. Some jokes in this are so subtle that only when you talk them out loud, you're like, oh, that was a joke. It just wasn't expressed as uh, upfront as Simpsons would learn to later. Yeah, yeah, I think I just realized that was a joke for the first time on my 60th <laughs> viewing where he's like, I've never seen such an obvious attempt to curry my favor. And Smithers is like, yes, very good, sir. Very, very good. And uh, Burns doesn't even react at all or yeah. sneer at him or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, and so then they head outside and Homer sees the perfect family and... Uh, uh, he is a bit jealous of them, even imagining them as like angels flying up into the sky, uh, all as he sees his own family as like demons, which again, like Homer, you are the one tearing down your family. This is such a weird opposite direction to go. And it does feel more like, like, uh, Ro- not Roseanne even, I, uh, like, a t- like an episode of Home Improvement would have been here, uh, uh, the dad saying you embarrassed me today we need to work on these things mm. yeah let's hear the uh the, the, them singing bingo also just feels very old timey in the in that section too homie get in the car this is where you belong yeah, Homer. Room for one more. One of us. One of us. One of us. One of us. I like how satisfied and drunk Marge looks there. Yeah, she's, uh, she doesn't look fully sick or anything. She's finally happy. <laughs> and and Maggie's just loose in the car again. We didn't know we didn't know about child safety no. seats then. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that one of us chanting that's the show's. I think I'll say it's officially the show's first like dialogue repeating parody scene from a movie. As in like we're just going to pose it and say the lines of dialogue from a movie to explicitly reference a film. Mm-hmm. My guess was Rosemary's Baby on that one was that uh freaks no it's oh, freaks, freaks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. One of yeah. us, one of us, Google Gobble, Google Gobble. Wow. And such I'll... a deep cut reference, though. <laughs> and a very obscure movie then. I'm yeah. sure it's still obscure now, but how would you how would you find that movie? How would you mm. know about it? Yeah, I would think it's just like midnight screenings at the hip places in L.A. Exactly. It, yeah. Did your mom explain that reference to you? <laughs> no, I didn't get that one for years until I, I basically had seen, this is probably the first time I'd seen one of us recreated in something, but I feel like every cartoon show did it. Yeah. And so eventually I just looked it up or I, I somebody told me like, oh, it's from Freaks. Like now you can just watch that one scene on YouTube. You don't have to watch the entirety of Freaks to see that scene. I, I don't think I have seen that whole movie. Just just clips from. I think it. I've only seen the one of us scene. Yeah. It's like forty five minutes. It's the shortest oh, movie I've wow. ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, that sounds like even shorter than like Carnival of Souls. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. All right, uh, maybe I should make some time for that one. Give it a shot. <laughs> uh, and I like the demonic family design too. That's those are great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they especially they're just wavy and on fire pretty much. And so then they come back from the break. Homer again. Totally out of character, demanding the family not eat and watch TV at the same time, and they eat together. Like, this is so the Homer of the shorts, totally. Do you think this episode is on Homer's side? I kind of mm, think it is after so. watching it so. with the, yeah. I think they the show wants the family to be better, and Homer, they, they agree with Homer that they should be. Because I guess technically Marge does get drunk, and the kids do act out, mm-hmm. and Homer uh, is you know solving things in the incorrect way but is at least trying to figure things out at least trying to improve things did you guys eat dinner at the dinner table or were you eat in front of the tv oh never uh, maybe like christmas or some special dinner <laughs> once a year thanksgiving yeah. that kind of thing yeah yeah, we, we used our dining room table for, for board games and, and <laughs> puzzles. Yeah, I think we did that more than we did eat together, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, in my family, it was like, go to the kitchen, get the food, and then go to your separate TV <laughs> and watch it. <laughs> yeah, so no. little slice of heaven, sounds like to me. It's perfect. Did you have a TV in your room? I did, oh, you yes, did. Wow. with cable. One of those kids. <laughs> wow. Uh, Not good cable, but still. I got the, yeah, I got my own TV by age eight. That's, and then I was just glued to all television all the time. Did you get yeah. a VCR in there too? Or? Mm, I think VCR wasn't until I was like 12 or something. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. I think a lot of it was parents thought for a long time video games would ruin your TV. So they're like, well, he loves video games. Just get him his own TV. He can ruin uh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I would blew up right in front of you. Right? <laughs> they were right. I'm still scarred from it. <laughs> right. Now, yeah, you guys, uh, for for all your pop culture love, are you guys don't seem like big gamers, though, right? Oh, like, I was brought up on NES. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I had that, like, right when it came out, yeah. For some reason, I, I planted my flag in the ground of Sega, so I had the Sega Master System. Always contrary. Wow, oh, the wow. Master System, yeah. man. And, uh, no, I just thought the graphics looked cooler, so I got the Master System, and everybody else had the Nintendo and all the cool games. I was playing, like, Super Baseball, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember then, playing Wonder Boy over at your place in, in like, Sixth grade. And I yeah. think that was a cool game. That's exactly one of the best Mario. Ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll also talking about jokes that are not obvious until you think about them too much. Like they're watching a show about vultures, how the father feeds them, and how he has to lead the rest of the family. Then Homer comes in and tells them to eat together, like that. Another like too subtle kind of yeah. joke, I think. And he turns the TV off right before the vulture is about to vomit. Uh, so like both Act Two and Act Three open with Homer coming in and turning off the TV <laughs> as the family is laying around. Uh, he prevents a lot of vomiting in this one. <laughs> they just take their TV trays to the table and uh, that's when Homer makes his uh, prayer to God. Thank you for this microwave bounty, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, our kids are uncontrollable hellions, pardon my French, but they act like savages. 
Did you see them at the picnic? Oh, of course you did. You're everywhere. You're omnivorous. Oh, Lord, why did you smite me with this family? Amen. Let's eat. No, I'm not done yet. But, Homer, how long are we supposed to sit here and listen to you badmouth us to the man upstairs? I'm sorry, Marge, but sometimes I think we're the worst family in town. Maybe we should move to a larger community. No! Don't have a cow, Dad. The sad truth is, all families are like us. I think so, huh? Well, there's only one way to find out. Follow me. That's a don't have a cow uh, yeah. appearance right there. Is that the first? That's not the first. Mm. Oh, I boy. think he did. I think he didn't say don't have a cow man before this. I think this is the first. Though mm. it's it's changed up. Like he said, eat my shorts in Bart the Genius. So. How many catchphrases yeah. do you have? Cowabunga. That was another one. That's I mean, a funny like, one. On the commentary, they're like, oh, he never said cowabunga on the show, but he did. He said he said it in the first in episode of season Bart two. Bart gets a nap. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was eat my shorts, cowbunga, don't have a cow man. There was one instance of cool your jets man, and I had that t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever say underachiever and proud of it, or that was just the, the no, shirt? No, I, okay. I think that was just a, a thing graining Jess love. Yeah. Like, do you think he wrote that? Do you think Graining wrote the underachiever? And I proud think of he it, did. Yeah. Okay. I think, well, I do know that I do recall that, like, in Bark Gets an F, a character, I think it's Jay Lauren Pryor, says, like, he's an underachiever, but proud of it oh right mm. so he says it but not bart right okay and also like i'm bart simpson who the hell are you like that's uh that's that was his other catchphrase it is really shocking to see how off marge is like the most shocking image in this episode is her laying on the couch eating a tv dinner yeah yeah it's, it's so wrong it for is, her <laughs> well marge is just like kind of dumb in this one too and she's like maybe she moved to a larger community like that says she's written as stupider than homer in this it's it's so weird there's a, a handful of season one where she's dumber than Homer. It's very much like Peggy Bundy laying on the couch eating bonbon oh, style yeah. humor. <laughs> yeah, Homer's omnivorous thing. That's another. That's a solid good. joke. I That's love that good. joke. Yeah, then we get into kind of a fun, just time killer. Gene and Reese in their uh, scripts, they like having these little scenes that are basically just a sketch. And the sketch is visiting other houses to see what those families are like, where they accidentally become peeping Toms, which is pretty funny in, in concept. Yeah, the first family they look at is incredibly freakish. Like, they're they're supposed to be the perfect family. Yeah, I mean, intentionally freakish, but not in the style of the show No, (laughs) in any way. They look like they're from Duckman. We said it in the live show. Yeah. (laughs) They're Duckman characters. I swear they look like they... So Everett Peck was working at Klasky Chupa at the time. He isn't in the credits, but I swear that's an Everett Peck design. Like, I I think it might have just gone uncredited. Can can I just uh, interrupt here, uh, Mm -hmm. going back to Duckman? Oh, sure. Um, I did have a Duckman t-shirt, too. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Was yeah. it a what the hell are you staring at t-shirt? Yes, that yes, was his was. catchphrase. Yes. Man. And it was way too big on me, but I still wore it. <laughs> Official Duckman merch. Bring it back, I say. Oh, I need one of those. Like one of one of my favorite jokes with a friend of mine who's been on the show before Dave Rudden was how when Duckman was airing on USA, they would do ads on sister shows on USA like WWF Raw. And there's such a funny picture of Jerry Lawler wearing a Duckman shirt. <laughs> Is that when going, uh, yeah, Duckman? Cornfed called in. And then Cornfed calls in yeah. as well to promote it during Raw. It's, it is very weird. Weird crossover. We're yes. still trying to make our Duckman miniseries happen, I swear. It's oh, going to happen yeah. one day. One of these We've done days. one episode. Uh, so they leave the first house, then they peep in on a second house where it's it looks like it's like grandparents caring for a child there. They seem far too old to to be that parent uh, kid's guardian. Uh, and they're the ones who say, get the gun, which that's another like recurring Simpson statement of, get my 
my god. The second time Homer was uh, shot at. Was yeah. he shot at in the Christmas special for stealing the tree? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So this is the, but this is the first time the whole family has been shot at. It's weird. Weird staging where they run about ten feet and then they just start walking. It's just like, well, we're out of the range of this gunfire now. <laughs> they get in cover behind like a hat, like a two foot tall brick wall, and they're like, whoo. Do, 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 it's do, like do. a cover base shooter is happening now <laughs> in this world. Uh, yeah, it's it's very it's very funny staging by Greg Vanzo and his team on that one. Then you know Homer and Bart they arrive at their house and they don't recognize it's their house, uh, which I think you know I think they're just uh, on adrenaline from almost Sad. dying that they they don't recognize it. I that's my excuse for that. <laughs> Then another one that's like a too subtle of a joke kind of thing. Homer says, like, uh, I want to be alone with my thoughts. And then it cuts to Moe's bar. So you're suppo- I think the joke is you're supposed to be like, oh, he's gone out drinking. He didn't want to be alone with his thoughts. But now it's just normal. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Homer's at Moe's bar in the that's next where he goes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, this, this is not the first appearance of Moe. We've seen him a few times in the show before. But there is a first appearance in this next clip. Fans are getting just a little bit anxious here. Another beer, Mo. What's the matter, Homer? Bloodiest fight of the year. You're sitting there like a thirsty bump on a log. Eddie. Evening, Mo. Want some pretzels? <laughs> no, thanks. We're on duty. A couple beers would be nice, though. That'd be two bucks, boys. Just kidding. <laughs> Good one, Mo. Uh, listen, <laughs> we're looking for a family of peeping Toms that's been terrorizing the neighborhood. Quiet, boy. Let the nice people enjoy the beers. Ah, uh, don't worry. This dog has this scent. Hey, what's gotten into Bobo? I uh, got some wieners in my pocket. That figures. Come on, you stupid dog. <laughs> <laughs> that dog is the only good cop in the entire Springfield Police Force. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and there's like two minutes of original Harry Shearer dialogue in the background. Oh, the box, the, the fight commentary. Yeah, right. Just like he recorded all of that. There's like there's that. There's the sound of the crowd on the TV. There's the sound of the crowd in the bar. It's just so noisy. Are there jokes in that uh, the Harry Shearer read? I was trying to listen. It doesn't seems pretty straightforward to uh, me. I don't know. Maybe if you were fi- if you found a way to isolate it or find that track, mm-hmm. he did sneak in some jokes. But uh, who knows? I think that fight's supposed to. Well, one of the boxers I think is supposed to look like '80s Marvin Hagler in there. I think mm-hmm. the the Marvin Hagler Sugar Ray Leonard fight was like April '87, so not too long before this one. And they're still trying to figure out Moe's, and uh, it's coming together. But there's still mm-hmm. like this weird foyer in which there are swinging doors that lead out to this, uh, you know, mud room or something <laughs> oh, with yeah. a cigarette machine. <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, the background isn't as many floating objects though as we saw in, uh, say, uh, Homer. Odyssey that that one is much uh, less defined even I love the joke about how the the uh he says it'll be two bucks for the beers. Like, just the cops just expect to get free beer yeah. there. <laughs> it reminds me of the Eddie Murphy SNL sketch where he's playing Mr. White, the white oh, guy. Yeah, and, yeah. and he pays for the newspaper. Like, no, just take it. No one's around. What, what are you doing? Yeah. 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 Now, I like the little beat where he says, like, just kidding, guys. And they're like, good one. They're like, they he clearly they looked at him for a second to be like, what? You're not just giving us free beers? Like, oh, I was joking. Here are those free beers. Yeah. Good one, Mo. They're on yeah. a first name basis. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Eddie uh, and Lou, first appearance. Lou is white here, mm-hmm. but he's named after some uh, baseball player in the Detroit Tigers. Lou Whitaker, sweet yeah. Lou. Oh, I, I had to look that one up. I, didn't I know don't know who that is. Oh, I know <laughs> Lou Whitaker. Yeah, I had his baseball card. He's uh, Well, it's because uh, Al Jean grew up in, in Michigan, so yeah. he, he knew the, the Tigers pretty well. That was that was his team growing up. But yeah, so that's why he was always... Lou was always supposed to be African-American. He wasn't supposed to be yellow in this scene. They just messed it up. I like, too, that they say, like, oh, we're on duty no 
pretzels, but we will drink. Like that's that's pretty funny too. <laughs> and that dog looks crazy. Also, like he's like a he looks almost like a balloon animal. He has such extreme like uh, dimensions yeah. to him. It's very it cartoony. Took yeah. him a while to figure out dogs, especially with uh, Bart the General. And I always forget this episode has another like very important line from Homer that gets kind of glossed over. But answer, he says he mentions his mom and says, "God, uh, like God rest her soul." I'll play the clip in a sec, but like it is recognizing Homer's mom is dead. Like Homer is not saying out loud, "My mom is dead," but he is, you know, letting the viewers know this is why you never see Homer's mom, but you still see Grandpa in hmm. the show, and uh, that would stay just that one off line it would just stay as fact that homer didn't have a living mother until they change it up in season seven here's the line is homer uh, homer and barty have like kind of a harsh bar fight you know mo my mom once said something that really stuck with me she said homer you're a big disappointment and god bless her soul she was really on to something don't blame yourself homer you got dealt a bad hand. You got crummy little kids that nobody can control. You can't talk that way about my kids. Or at least two of them. Why? You got two I haven't met? Why, you? Here's five you haven't met. Yeah, I guess that commentary there is meant to be double for what's happening in the screen scene, so, but it's yeah. not like jokes anyway. No, I, I guess I never took that God bless your soul to mean she was dead, but I could read it that way. I, I think that's yeah. how Definitely, you wouldn't yeah. say God bless your mother's soul if she was still alive, would you? I don't think so, no. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Because God's currently blessing her soul. Right. He doesn't yeah. need to be reminded to... <laughs> right, is that how it works? Well, let's define our terms here, gentlemen. Are we talking about redistricting? Or uh, I don't have the jingle uh, here. I'm going to put it... I'm gonna put it in later that's our the needless pedantry jingle yeah. <laughs> well, let's define our terms gentlemen are we talking about redistricting or are we talking about reapportionment because oh well can't win them all. Uh, well, also, I mean, let's talk about pedantry here. Homer says, here's five you haven't meant. They are four-fingered. So Ooh, good point. say that. I guess they wouldn't have known that when writing the script. <laughs> now, when you read this as like more of a live-action real thing, Homer just immediately punching Barney, like sucker-punching Barney at a bar stool. That's dark. Like, if you were to imagine, say, I like even Dan Connor on Roseanne doing that, you'd be like, that's a dark time for Dan, just socketing a guy at a bar stool. <laughs> but for some reason, it seems like, yeah, it's normal. Homer punched his best friend in the face, like, hard. <laughs> and there's a fun shot of Mo just looking down at Homer on the floor, not even reacting. <laughs> <laughs> Happens a lot. Yeah. This, uh, I think they dropped that, too, that Barney can easily defeat Homer in a fight. Like, Homer threw the first punch, and Barney still just took him out with just, like, one sock to the head. Maybe that's why Homer's dumber after this episode, is that he took <laughs> extreme brain damage from this, uh, this beating from Barney. Also, like, you know what, there are two I haven't met? That's a little too clever for Barney to, to say in the show. Uh, but he's he's not as... They, they haven't fully discovered how awful they want Barney to be and how dark they want to go with <laughs> And it. his hair was flesh-colored, too. In yeah, that. Oh, yeah. 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 He stopped dyeing his hair after <laughs> season one. I think, actually, by Telltale Head, he's kind of getting the brown hair. I think you're there. right, yeah. yeah. But, yes, as Homer is lying on the barroom floor, he sees a commercial that will change his life. All-Star Boxing is brought to you by Dr. Marvin Monroe's Family Therapy Center. Huh? What? Honey, aren't you going to work today? No, I don't think so. Honey, you have a problem, and it won't get better till you admit it. I admit this. You better shut your big yap. Oh, you shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut oh, up. Oh, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. 
Why don't you both shut up? Hi, friends. I'm Dr. Marvin Monroe. <laughs> Does this scene look familiar? <laughs> if so, I can help. No gimmicks, no pills, no fad diets. Just family bliss or double your money back. So call today. Dr. Marvin Monroe's Family Therapy Center. 1-800-555-HUGS. <laughs> Why don't you call right now? When will I learn? The answer to life's problems aren't at the bottom of a bottle. <laughs> They're on TV! That music cue is really strong there. Yeah, right? was, yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, Richard Gibbs did that a lot. Yeah. The, the brassy like, ba 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 ba. I don't know if that was a good parody of a commercial at the time, though, was it? Mm. I, I don't mm. feel like commercials were actually like that back then. Were they? Commercials about depression. I mean, there were barely commercials about being depressed. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I love the way Hank Azaria plays that guy, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think maybe the joke was like, it was such a thing you wouldn't see. Just like the harsh reality of uh, depression. The father screaming at his wife and a child yeah. walking in. It'd be like, "Are you feeling sad? Call this number now." Mm. It'd be more like gentle and reassuring. I think that yeah. part spoke to me, but like the little reenactment at the beginning, I don't know. I don't know if I remember mm. commercials. No, like I, that. I don't think they'd go that extreme back then. Yeah, I don't think so. Talk about Doctor Marvin Monroe, though. Yeah, uh, I guess his voice, but not appearance, is based on this guy called Doctor David Viscott, who at the time in the early nineties was a very popular radio and TV psychiatrist in like the Los. Angeles area. Did he look like that? Absolutely not. No, no. But just, his... just so, but though, but not even he. You can see the starting point for Harry Shearer's voice, but it's not fully that he goes way raspier than than Viscott yeah. is. Do we yeah. have a clip of him? Yeah, okay. here. Let me let me play a quick. Uh, and why don't we actually like heal some hearing the voice <laughs> of uh, Doctor David Viscott? David Viscott, we're working on the lines, but that means this is an opportunity for you to learn something that you don't usually learn on this program, something about feelings. Do you know that most people don't know how feelings work? And the truth is that if you don't understand how your feelings work, you really don't understand the world around you. The truth is, the way you see the world is in large part distorted by the feelings that you have not expressed, that you've held in, and that are causing you to see those unexpressed feelings <laughs> in the world. So yeah, the, I zoned out a long time ago. <laughs> the like the pop culture, like the pop psychobabble that he would do, is what mm. Marvin was based on. Like in the episode that was uh, supposed to air first, it was essentially a parody of his talk show where people would call in and talk about their problems. And you can see clips on YouTube of that happening in the real world, like people calling Viscott and him helping them through their problems, like a Frasier style character. Mm -hmm. Maybe Frasier was based on him too. Like I can see the that. premise of Frasier. Yeah, you know his speech. You're like, well, yeah, you know, it actually might have. Frasier might really be based on David Viscott as well. And with some soothing saxophone music in the yeah. background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it kind of has a bit of a New York accent. And, yeah. 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 I, I love it. like, Man, let's talk about feelings. Yeah, yeah. That's uh I again I never heard of this guy. He was I mean he died in the nineties, I think. Like not uh yeah. he's he's been gone for a while and then he died <laughs> uh after Marvin Monroe died. Yeah. <laughs> but he came back. Uh, I know he's not dead. Monroe did come back, yes. Don't don't correct us in these comments, all right? <laughs> you know he came back. Uh, but yeah, Marvin Monroe, in his first appearance, he's a radio guy. Now he's already, you know, franchising out and doing like on top of his radio show, a family help center. And uh, I like too that he's like, no fad diets. Like, why would a fad diet be involved? <laughs> yeah. And also, it's a very Gina Reese thing that, and that would carry over through so much of Simpsons in plotting. A Simpson watches television and then a commercial comes on that tells them which will be their next plot point. And so Homer's like, yeah. 
yes, the TV told me what I'm going to do in the next act. But even just shouts it at the screen like, they're on TV. That's a great line. And I think uh, Gene and Reese would often do like, let's start an episode with a TV parody or start an act. And I think two Mm. acts start with TV shows on. So the first one was a nature documentary and this one is Itchy and Scratchy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about Itchy and Scratchy here. This is their first appearance in series, but they had been on the shorts as well. Uh, Just in one off scene, they uh, in the Tracy Ullman season three short, The Bart Simpson Show. They appear basically the same. It's a blue mouse and a black cat, but Itchy doesn't have his uh, orange vest on, though. That's the the one difference. But yeah, the Itchy and Scratchy come from the same place as the Happy Little Elves of making fun of shitty Hanna-Barbera cartoons. But I think the writers and artists were way more into Itchy and Scratchy jokes of just obscene violence than Happy Little Elves jokes about being boring. Yeah, it let them draw gory Looney Tunes. So they were way more into that. That's what it was really about. And it's also funny that Marge, with her future is just sitting on the couch watching the cartoon with them happily. Is she laughing along with it? I can't remember. Was she I, Was she enjoying that? I, you I know, think she was. I mean, I think they're just sitting there silently, aren't they? Because yeah, but they're smiling. They're enjoying it together. Yeah. But yeah, this, this wasn't staged like so many other itchy and scratchies that end with like, a horrible thing happens on screen, then Bart and Lisa just laugh, laugh. uproariously. Yeah. yeah. In this particular one, wasn't that clever, though. Like, there's mm-hmm. the rib cage, and then they rolled his head through the rib cage. Yeah. Which, you know, usually itchy and scratchy. It's like, you know. <laughs> more elaborate, more uh, horrifying. Exactly. Yeah. The, in a Tom and Jerry, you wouldn't have seen a rib cage. It's, no, that's it's, so true. It's slightly, <laughs> it's slightly more extreme, but not as extreme as I And a decapitated head. A severed not, head, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Pretty, it, it'd be more of an explosion and then a blackface gag. I don't <laughs> <think> <laughs> more acceptable. I, I think, <laughs> too, kids. like, uh, one of the reasons The Simpsons really spoke to me and, and my family, and probably a lot of people, is because TV was a central part of their lives. Yeah. And I think collectively, we all watched 40 hours of TV a day, <laughs> the four of us here. Yeah. So oh, to yeah. see, you know, like plot points dictated by what happens on TV and mm. the the family watching TV, you didn't really see that even on sitcoms like Roseanne. It wasn't really, you know, maybe it was like they're watching the big game and you hear the sounds, <laughs> but that was it. So that was also kind of a, a new thing. I remember in sitcoms, whenever they would finish watch, like on Cosby Show or something, they would finish watching the show and then they would immediately turn off the TV. Mm. And I was like, that's not how it works. It's yeah. always on in the background. No, it stays on all it's day true. long. I think just like realistically, a live action show couldn't film Perry or you know make fake cartoons but it could all exist within this world you can right. just draw it yeah it uh it, through that function it then let it express what how much television and family really did watch like and that that also i mean lisa explicitly says it in this episode of saying like well you know our family are uh, are more like the ones than they are on tv most families are like us like that that's what this episode's all about i'm just like i i think it's like gene and reese saying here's how they're not a sitcom family like every other sitcom is. I'm just thinking, like, they would do TV parodies on Mary the Children, but you just hear the audio of what yeah. Al was watching, like the Psycho Dad episode or whatever. Oh, Psycho Dad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Homer turns off the TV and uh, calls a family meeting, and I like how Lisa says, like, why can't we have a meeting when you're watching TV? That's another, <laughs> another good line. Uh, and then Homer is saying, like, it's again, it's time where it, this is such a proactive Homer who, like, does things like we it, we just did season 10 episodes. And in those to get Homer to get off the couch, like, takes immense effort from <laughs> yeah. other characters for plot reasons. Uh, but they decide they're going to go there, uh, though they are a little short on funds. Why can't we have a meeting when you're watching TV? Now, look, you know and I know this family needs help, professional help. 
So I made us an appointment with Dr. Marvin Monroe. The fat guy on TV? You're sending us to a doctor who advertises on pro wrestling? Boxing leads to boxing, and there's a world of difference. <laughs> Are you sure this is the right thing to do? Honey, I've given this matter a lot of study, and of all the commercials I saw, his was the best. Nah. All it cost is $250. We don't have that kind of money. Well then, we're just going to have to dig deep. Marge, go get the kids' college fund. Oh, Homer. oh, come on, Marge. Why scrimp now on the off chance that they'll actually get in someplace? $48, 49 50 $88.50. That's it? That's the college fund we've been saving for all these years? I guess I'd have needed a partial scholarship. <laughs> uh, that's uh, the, the 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 family can't afford two hundred and fifty dollars. Like, which I did a, an online inflation calculator. Nineteen ninety two hundred fifty dollars is uh, like five hundred dollars now. Mm. But uh. even then, like a family that's not liquid for five hundred dollars, that's they're in trouble. Like that's a that's a tough <laughs> it's a tough situation. So between the the hair jar of money, uh, Bart's piggy bank, and uh, Homer's Odyssey, and this, there's like three plot lines about like three secret stashes of money. <laughs> It's true. In the first four episodes that aired. <laughs> and uh, apparently, in the originally in the piggy bank drawing that was crushed, it had like, you know, blue eyes on it, or like they they digitally changed it to black eyes uh, when it aired because they the feeling was like, it looks too real. It looks like they smashed an actual pig open for it. Uh, and also, I like Homer's de- delineation of like boxing, and there's a world of difference between <laughs> boxing and wrestling. He knows both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the, uh, of all the, I did a lot of study, of all the commercials I saw, this was the best. I think that's uh, my favorite line. That's a good one. Yeah. That feels like contemporary Homer. Like, yeah. They, that's, yeah. <laughs> and this is, yeah, the very cash draft family, like, you know, consider again season seven. Homer will just pull nine hundred dollars out of his wallet like it's nothing. I think that was them <laughs> saying, you know what, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. If the story point needs Homer to have money, then he'll just have money. Yeah. Let's not waste time. Any vacation is possible for this family now. It's fine. <laughs> uh, well, hey, they needed all those mega saver things to get that one vacation to Japan. They that at least true. kept that in mind. They then head off to pawn the TV instead. Like the family marching to a pawn shop is a very. I feel like you wouldn't have seen. You might have seen that on Mary with Children. But you wouldn't have seen that on the Cosby Show, the uh, the the stalwart of uh, family values. Uh, I, I, I hate even talking about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's also a gag of Marge wanting to pawn her engagement ring, and Homer saying, "Like you know, that's not gonna do. That's not gonna get us 250 bucks." Yeah, his objection is it won't cost enough money, or it won't bring them enough money. Yeah. In season 10, uh, a joke establishes that Marge's engagement ring is made out of rock candy. So, uh, Homer's <laughs> he right. <laughs> Homer is right. And it took Marge until season 10 to realize it was made of rock candy. Uh, they, they meet the pawn shop guy. Actually, this is a quick clip. I love this pawn shop guy. I do too. No, Dad. Please don't pawn the TV. Oh, come on, Dad. Anything but that. Homer, couldn't we pawn my engagement ring instead? Now, I appreciate that, honey, but. We need $150 here. Afternoon, Simpson. So what can I do for you? Would you pay $150 for this lovely Motorola? Is it cable ready? Ready as you'll ever be. <laughs> Mister, you got yourself a deal. 
I love ready as she'll ever be. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I guess the Gene and Reese wrote in their script, no offensive accents yes, on this guy. Yeah. So I guess make of that what you will. Mm, it sounded yeah. like uh, creepy Ned Flanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's just this weird. You got yourself a deal. <laughs> but he also like, uh, the weirdest line to me is that he recognizes Homer. He's like, what's that can it for Simpson? Like he's been there. Yeah. yeah. But they, they don't say like, Oh, time to go back to the pawn shop. We're going to the pawn shop. He felt like, like a, it felt like a David Lynch character to me. Mm. The pawn shop. Mm. Shop owner, and then the, his hairstyle was kind of <laughs> swoopy with weird yeah. teeth. Oh yeah, yeah. the swoop yeah. T- yeah, and also that he like looks like he's from another era, and he doesn't leave his little window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's not really a joke in there. He doesn't really <laughs> say really. a joke. He just kind of says it in a creepy way. Yeah. And I don't think they realize they could write like background gags because there's nothing funny in the pawn shop. I think there's like a bazooka mm. in the background on the wall. Maybe it kind of <laughs> looks like one, but there's no like sign gags or funny things. I was in the gonna pawn say shop. That the pawn shop yeah. didn't have a funny name. Yeah. yeah said pawn shop right yeah they should have yeah you're right yeah and they i wish they'd remembered this character because i feel like he could have been as recurring and funny as a lot of characters on the show yeah like this the pawn shop and dr marvin monroe's uh, family therapy center there's no funny name like season two would have like a funny slogan under it or something Mm -hmm. like that but they weren't thinking that far in advance uh and so they head into the family therapy center and uh the like there's a punk skinhead family first which bob you correctly identified where they're more famous from yeah, this uh, I guess the skinhead father, he's actually, they used him as the boss of Moe's Bar in the arcade game, because I assume they're just given a, a bunch of characters, yeah. and they're like, he could be a boss, let's use him. Yeah, if, so. if you remember in the Simpsons arcade game, at the end of Moe's Bar, you fight, or he, I think actually he's a mid-boss, no, he is the, he's yeah, the last the boss, boss, he yeah. boss yeah. And he's just like this guy who shuffles back and forth, and drunk. It should be Barney you're fighting, but I think they, uh, I would bet uh, Matt Groening probably had an objection to Barney being the villain of the, uh, the bar. The first boss is like one of the wrestlers you see on TV yeah, in season two. I remember yeah. that. And then I don't think I ever had enough quarters to get past <laughs> yeah. that part. You need about 10 bucks to beat that game. Yeah. And uh, and right before you get in that room, you fight the father-son duo of uh, mobsters. The gangsters? Yeah, yeah. That's such a weird... A weird I, like, I like those characters. Uh, and then there's the I'm with Stupid family, which that's just a crappy just joke. Badly just badly drawn, not really <laughs> communicated very well. And then the kind of funny joke that also is like too subtle of the happy family from the first act is there and they all hate each other now i think it was a lot for them to ask you to remember this family because there was such a brief exchange between them and uh, mm-hmm. homer i like totally forgot about them then I, another great line of like where marge is saying homer you've driven a stake through the hearts of those who love you and then homer says like hey no pay no game like that's, <laughs> that's uh, a very weird exchange by homer uh he's counting all the money there's also a great line of like bart saying like well if you really want to be impressive the hole where our uh, tv used to be then there's the great gag of the not the good simpsons version family coming out yeah the uh, after family <laughs> coming out uh and with homer with hair even who is just fred flintstone yeah. in another weird thing that i brought it up earlier is that the song uh love is blue is playing yeah. as the, the but a muzak version oh. of love is blue is playing in the background i didn't notice which i didn't know if that was you know were they trying to say something with having that song it was like a big song in the 70s it's weird in season one they did a lot of covers as background music that i think 
that probably cost them a lot of money for a thing nobody noticed. Yeah, like, well, yeah. I listened to the song and it was a cover of it, but I think they they muzacked it up a little yeah. bit more because it is kind of already a muzacky song. But it, you know, well, just in the last episode, Homer's Odyssey, it's it's in Mar- Moe's bar and uh, it's playing that Patsy Cline song yeah. in the background, but it's a cover as well. I think they thought that would set tone better, but it's just kind of distracting. There's really. a lot more like diegetic music in the yeah. background, oh, yeah. and when in the future, if there was a song playing, it would be the joke. Like, the joke is you're hearing this song, or we're going to do something <laughs> with this song. But yeah, I didn't even notice the music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they get their appointment with Marvin, and uh, he starts them with a pad of paper to draw their problems. I love... They all draw Homer. Homer is obviously the problem with the family. Right uh, to any outside observer, they'd know that. And, and Homer's humming off we go into the wild blue yonder. Yeah. I noticed for the first oh, time. Is he? Yeah. And he's drawing yeah. a, like a, a fighter plane. Yeah. yeah. That's funny that that's the song he's humming as he draws it. Like that, that is appropriately dumb Homer who gets lost in his assignment yes. and yeah. just draws a bomber. I remember when, shit. yeah, that, that, that joke, I was like, there's the Homer we know and love. Except right his there. drawing would be far worse. Yeah, I think. it's honestly it would not be... Childless, yeah, childish be, enough. Yeah, yeah, it would be a childish, more childish drawing, <laughs> like a, a robot a, or something. Yeah, it would be a. It, it was a competent-looking bomber, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, the entire family sees Homer as a bit of an ogre. <laughs> Homer? Whoops. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Well, if you had been paying attention, perhaps you would have noticed that your family sees you as a rather stern authority figure. An ogre, if you will. Now, Doctor, that's not true. Ogre is such a strong word. Right on, Doc. Another successful diagnosis. Wow. (laughs) Okay, you want to kill each other. That's good. That's healthy. There's nothing necessarily wrong with hostile conflict. All I ask is that you use my patented aggression therapy mallets. Good idea. All right. I don't know. Okay, let's take another deep cleansing breath. That uh, that's a great line too. Okay, you want to kill, kill each other? That's good. That's yeah. healthy. <laughs> Somehow, uh, Homer about to bludgeon his son to death with a lamp is more shocking <laughs> than the strangling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the the animation is great on it. Like how quickly he just goes off screen and gets this lamp, and then is right above Bart in like killer position. <laughs> like if Monroe hadn't stopped him, Bart would at least be unconscious. Yeah. Like uh, and again, like this should be like I I'm calling the police now. That's what Marvin. <laughs> Monroe should say. Uh, he this, wants their money. This whole section here is actually like an elongated version of the family therapy short in yeah. the Tracy Ullman show too, which that one ends with Bart. Bart tortures the guy until they all turn on the therapist. That's the one that ends with Bart shooting suction cup gun at the other uh, guy and it's stuck to his nose. And also the really gross part where Bart like spits out his uh, oh, the peppermints back the into big, the, the bowl. The big wad of mints, Ugh, yeah. God. It's almost as disgusting as say grape juice in someone's mouth to, <laughs> to drain hey, out I tried poisons. that this morning. And... Did you really? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> this... I bought that. <laughs> Guys, go to listeners, go to the Found Footage Festival after dark shows to understand this reference you <laughs> i'm keeping my mucus within me uh, it seems oh. to be doing some job uh but yeah, but yes the homer's reaction to being called an ogre is pretty uh i mean it makes it true he's, he's going to beat his son to death right in front of them <laughs> Uh, and my family loved the joke of them hitting each other with the mallets. And uh, like Ooh. Homer's disappointed that he's like, 
Why are we even bothering? This doesn't hurt each other. <laughs> and then Bart unsheathing the foam uh, pad yeah. and, and the, the foley on him hitting yeah. Marlon oh, that Monroe sound. is really yeah. funny. That makes yeah. me wince every time, just yeah. getting whacked in the knee with it's a metal like, rod. Uh, yeah. yeah, You can just hear his shin splintering <laughs> when like it hits. Yeah. Here, and, I mean, it goes without saying, but Harry Shearer is so funny. His his performance as Marvin Monroe, it's a funny voice, and he makes lines... I mean, his delivery is just really funny. I think yeah. he stopped doing this character or, like, requested they stop using him because it hurt his voice. I yeah. can see that. I think yeah. it was the same with Otto, too, but not as severe. <laughs> yeah, Otto, Otto still gets to stick around with that voice, but he's... Uh, the Monroe... I mean, I think they ran out of things they wanted to do with Monroe anyway. If they were going to have a, a doctor, I think they just liked having Hibbert be that person. Yeah. And, and as, uh, after smashing his knee or his shin, then it's time to uh, to step it up a notch to electrocution. Everyone comfy? <laughs> Good. Now, don't touch any of those buttons in front of you for a very important reason, i.e., you are wired into the rest of your family. You have the ability to shock them, and they have the ability to shock... Ah! Why you? Oh, Homer, not yet. Oh. <laughs> you see, this is what is known as aversion therapy. When someone hurts you emotionally, you will hurt them physically, and gradually you will learn not to hurt each other at all. And won't that be wonderful, Homer? Oh, yes, Doctor. <laughs> Bart, how could you shock your little sister? My finger slipped. Ah! So did mine. Lisa, stop that! Oh! Oh! No, no. You know, I think that scream there was used in the arcade game too. That sounded that yeah. sounded a lot like it. Bart and Lisa scream well, together. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, this was like the perfect uh, ninety seconds of comedy. This mm-hmm. sketch, and I think this really helped sell the show even more. I th- this little set piece here. Yeah, I think it was like the first viral moment of like if you were to show. If The Simpsons was going to have a news story, this would be the clip they'd show at the start of it at the top of the local news. Like, the Huxtables, they are not. Yes. Zap, zap. <laughs> and it's not like uh, even dialogue-based. It's all just editing and animation. Yeah. I think I love this when The Simpsons do a set piece like that. Because it reminds me of Moe and the Lie Detector. Yeah. Or yeah. Mr. Thompson. Or, you know, it's like an almost a vaudevillian kind of sketch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, and the drawings of them electrocuted is so funny. Like, the fact every that time. Ma- uh, Maggie is also strapped Who in. Who put a baby <laughs> yeah. in this machine? Like, let her sit to the side. Her brain needs to develop more, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Though, then again, she did join in on the malleting. She was yeah. happy to do that. But somebody so. Shocks Maggie, we don't know who. It's still it's the mystery screen. of this episode. Yeah. Uh, at first, you wonder, like, who shocks Marge? And you're like, well, maybe it was Maggie because she's just randomly pressing stuff. But mm. yeah, I got to think it was Bart who zapped Maggie. I'm going to think he's the one who would who would zap a baby. I do like uh, that the animators took the time to animate Marge doing the two finger at the same yeah. time. Yeah. That was clever. <laughs> yeah. I also like how Marvin explains he's like, you have the ability to shock them, and they have the ability to shock you. And then the second he says they can shock you, Bart zaps. <laughs> Right, (laughs) and uh, this scene's talk about being viral. I think it is the first time a Simpsons clip was ever in a movie. It is featured in Die Hard Two. This clip is played on the plane that uh, I believe it is that um, the the Bonnie Bedelia. She's on the airplane, and he's got to save it with Dennis 
Franz. I barely remember Die Hard 2. But when she's on the plane, the plane is showing this scene from The Simpsons mm. on it. Uh, and that film came out in theaters July 4th, 1990. So just six months after this aired. Uh, but it was another Fox show. So I think it's just like Fox. Fox helping Fox there. I think this also really showed Gene and Reese how in after they get the animation back in editing, they can make something funnier and they can add a lot of dialogue. Cause I think this electrocution bit was half as long before. Yeah, I think they repeat a lot of shots. So many it. quick cuts and repeated shots. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's perfect. Like they found the perfect amount of shocking <laughs> to include in this segment. Yeah. And uh, that their skin is smoking at the end too. It's that extreme. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But th- this was like kind of one of their, te- I mean, sometimes they do tedium jokes, like the stepping on the rakes, uh, mm-hmm. sideshow Bob. I felt like this was just like one that went on for longer than it needed to. <laughs> yeah. It stops being really, funny and then becomes yeah, exactly, funny again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, when I watched it again. We played it for a live audience too at our our live show, and the, even then I was like, "Wow, I think we all forgot how long this was." But <laughs> it just kept going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and that's why you get to feel for Monroe too. He's like, "Please stop! I'm, <laughs> can't you hear me? Stop!" <laughs> Uh, and also the quick cutaway to Burns saying like uh, that the this energy conservation fads is dead as the dead. We do hear oh. an excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Harry. He re-recorded as we talked about in Homer's Odyssey. Harry re-recorded Burns. Burns was originally done by an actor named Chris Collins. But this episode feels more like Harry did the first read through of Burns and is more fully owning the character. I mm. think. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the the electrocution finally ends, and in a way. The, uh, the family earns money through their dysfunction. <laughs> hey, nice hair, Mom. Gee, I thought we were making real progress. No, I'm sorry, you're not. Please, <laughs> you've just got to go. Wait a minute, Doc. Your TV commercial said, family bliss or double our money back. Oh, but that was just... <laughs> All right. Get the money. Just go and never tell anyone you were here. Wow, 500 smackers. Homer, how wonderful. Our first pleasant surprise. It's not the money as much as the feeling that we earned it. You did it, Dad. Excuse me, dear. Shouldn't we be heading down to the pawn shop to get our TV back? That piece of junk? Forget it. We're going to get a new TV, 21-inch screen, realistic flesh tones, and a little <laughs> cart so we can wheel it into the dining room on holidays. Yay! Oh, we love you. <laughs> Tone it down, Gibbs. Yeah, again, he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it. the Too big, big for his britches. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think too, Gene and Reese, they always talk about how like if you put 20 seconds of sweetness at the end of anything, it, it makes yeah, people love it's it. It's a huge lie. Yeah. I, I think uh, I lived through the era of realistic flesh tones on TV, but mm. I don't remember it. I looked it up. It's like, I guess on some TVs had a setting where you could adjust oh, really? the uh, the color of the flesh, but yeah. not the rest w- of the color. 
Um, yeah, because I remember occasionally you'd turn on a channel and they'd kind of have a greenish skin or like tone. pinkish sometimes? Yeah, yeah, but that was like very old. See, like, I thought uh, that was a self-referential joke, that their uh, flesh tones were... Oh, no, I didn't think know? about that. Oh, I could see that too. Yeah. Too yeah. clever. Another too clever joke. <laughs> uh, well, also that like the idea of a cable-ready TV, just that feels crazy now too. Like it's more, it's, for me, it's like, does this TV have a USB drive on it? Is more yeah. How many HDMI ports? Yeah. <laughs> 21 inches. Uh, yeah, 21 is there. I think that's even a joke then of like yeah. 21 was a small was a mid-sized tv at best in yeah. 1990 modest as well. yeah and uh, and uh, the exit scene of them walking away was also fully redrawn and reused as the credits for the simpsons arcade game if you could beat the simpsons arcade game and murder mr burns <laughs> then you would see them walking up the uh walking down the street in the same pose yeah and everything. on an endless loop and uh, I like too that they like basically gambled on their dysfunction and won, and they made two hundred and fifty bucks out of it. That's I think Marvin Monroe like he's setting himself up for failure, saying double your money back. Who defines family bliss? That, you know? that, that used to be that's an accurate commercial depiction. They'd yeah. always do double your money back. Yeah, back then. that was a big thing back then. Yeah, that's like the the Domino's. You know, it'll be cool if it doesn't arrive by X amount of time. Kind oh, yeah. of deal. I had a weird memory of seeing this uh, on a TV at Sears. This episode, there was just like the area where they were selling all the Simpsons merch and they would always have one episode on TV and this was it. Huh, and I remember wow. watching like the last half of this while my mom was looking for blouses or whatever. How did they have it? Did they have a VCR hooked up to it and they taped um, it off TV? Must have been a promotional tape I think tape it was like a promotional something. tape. Yeah, yeah. Just just, that like, video's probably out there Just somewhere. like plays on a loop forever. Oh, you, you've, yeah. you've heard, you've got a new taste of uh, video to seek out. It's out there in a landfill somewhere. We're going to find it. Uh, I guess the only other note I'll say there is at the end there, Marge. Marge is also just written so like her shorts thing of like, now here, do you think we should go to the pawn shop? Like, yeah. and somebody afterwards, she's like, Well, let's get our TV back. Like, that uh, March, I think they really didn't figure out Marge until Life in the Fast Lane. I think that's the only time she has any life like in her life. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which episode is that? Uh, that's a bowling one. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Jock. Yeah. Jock. Yeah. When uh, they show that Marge has the ability to be offended at a bad birthday gift and contemplate uh, infidelity. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. right. The bowling uh, ball episode, yeah. Uh, but any any final thoughts, uh, Nick and Joe? I thought this was like hinting towards what The Simpsons was going to be because like I think at its best, The Simpsons, and, and what one thing that I think my family and I responded to was that your family has inside jokes and mm. you don't feel like other families and you watch a lot of TV and it, and it sort of cemented that idea and was, I thought, a more realistic depiction of like what my family was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think this set the stage for future Simpsons episodes too. I think, I thought the ending was very appropriate for what I consider golden age, what most people consider golden age Simpsons, as the what do you say, success through failure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that that's, yeah, I think that, that they all realize they love each other more than ever after failing together. Right, that's, exactly. that's so sweet, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. they hadn't found the characters yet, I guess, or it was kind of opposite day uh, mm. for this episode, but the sentiments were all still you know, the same. An- another thing I noticed in this episode is that they used a lot of cross dissolves in between in between transitions. Oh, yeah, and a lot scenes. of yeah. fade out. Yeah, the, the biggest one I noticed was when it's like, 
get the money and then fade and yeah. then to the money counting. It is cross dissolves aren't good for comedy. It's just yeah. so slow. Yeah. yeah, it diffuses energy. Yeah, which especially after such an energetic scene as the electrocution. Yeah, it's uh they they hadn't fully figured out how they wanted to edit the Simpson jet right. either. Yeah, right. um, I'd like to issue a correction. Oh, uh, earlier I had said we sang Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, Boy or Girl. It's You're the Birthday. Oh, You're uh, the Birthday. Yeah. I bet you're people birthday, already commented. And and I, and 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 I wanted I've been. It's been in my head this entire show, and I thought I'd save it for the end. So that was the right. That was the right call. <laughs> I, that I will punish. Who? That will punish anyone who comments before the episode is over. Yeah, people true. do that. I know. You should be fired for that blunder. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least I appreciate when a commenter says like, "I haven't listened yet, but I hope you mention that." At least say that you haven't listened yet yes. in your comment. <laughs> but you guys have a, f- a flight to catch. Oh, yes, we do. Please tell us all about yes. the Found Footage Festival. You put on a great show last night. We back in the Bay Area in April. But you're traveling all over the place. You got Patreon. You've got uh, streams, you've got all kinds of stuff going on. Talk about it. Yeah, our, our primary source of income is doing touring live shows. So we, we have like 60 shows between now and June, I think. And uh, it's going to be busy uh, time on the road. So you can come see us live. Um, and we also just started a, an internet show called VCR Party. Uh, that's every Tuesday night at 9 that's Eastern. That's a ton of fun. Yeah. On YouTube. And uh, yeah, we have a Patreon so you can chip in and help us keep this goofy project alive. Yeah, we have a, an office with 10,000 VHS tapes and we, we've maybe gotten through 32% of them. Wow. And so, yeah, each week we just pull off six different videos and watch them. It's awesome. It's an amazing office. I too, <laughs> I was telling Bob about one of my favorite weird finds you had was that Dolph Lundgren exercise tape. Oh, that, yeah. That Quinn Tarantino was somehow involved Yeah, he's in. the production assistant on there. And yeah. I, I've heard there's so many stories from that too. Oh, that he had to pick up dog shit most of the time. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, that's so funny yeah. and yeah no uh, and your Christmas one that uh, is relatively new when this came out that was another great one too so yeah VCR Party Live your regular streams are really lots of fun and uh, yeah uh, not all are as uh, as ribald as the night <laughs> me and Bob just had with you guys but, oh yeah yeah so. yeah. that's the exception to the rule After Dark is yeah it's a different show you know what you're getting <laughs> yeah uh, but but thank you guys so yeah, much for making thank you, you. it's an honor to be here lots of fun so thanks again to Joe Pickett and Nick Perer from the Found Footage Festival we just saw one of their shows last night we loved it make sure you see them if they come through your town lots of fun weird footage often mm. gross if you go to the late night show it's not always <laughs> gross but just know which show you're going to because there's two different shows they do mm. but it's fun either way you yeah know? if uh, if you've got a stronger stomach than me i think you really love the after dark one and the uh and also their vcr party live live streams check them out yeah and if you like things like everything is terrible and tim and eric it's the same sort of awkward you know public accessy kind of jokes and uh footage and stuff like that mm-hmm. so yes thank you so much to the found footage festival guys for coming on and if you want to help support our show and get every episode one week ahead of time and ad free please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons and for the low price of five bucks a month you'll get just that and also access to everything behind the five dollar paywall that includes all of our mini series of course but also the most recent one talking futurama season two part one and that is 10 new episodes of talking futurama and if you stay a patron at the five dollar level we have two new mini series coming at you in 2020 one in the spring and one in the fall so stay tuned for those even more bonus content for you and henry will tell you all out there what is happening at the ten dollar level an extra long podcast every month that is voted on by patrons and i believe our most recent one is the longest podcast we've ever done yes yeah i think we break that record every month though yeah. yes this uh we're talking about the what a cartoon movie podcast you know we have our sister podcast what a cartoon but now once a month we do the what a cartoon 
cartoon movie where we cover a different animated feature film in hyper detail, just like we do on Talking Simpsons. And it can only be listened to in full by our $10 a month patrons at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. If you're a $10 subscriber, you could hear us doing the Animatrix right now. Me and Bob talk all about our personal histories with the Matrix. We go deep in how not only the series The Matrix was made, but also how the Wachowski sisters made the jump into doing animation with some of the top directors in Japanese animation. And we go short by short to discuss the many great folks who worked on it. And if you sign up now, you get to hear a bunch of older ones, including I definitely would suggest the iron giant one. If you love all the animation talk in this one and Simpsons chat. So please sign up $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and my other podcast is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast. Every Monday, check us out at Retronauts.com or go to Patreon.com slash Retronauts for extra episodes every other Friday. Henry, how about you? Hey, you can follow me, Henry Gilbert, on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm sure to share any of my fun thoughts about the state of the world, and also whenever there's new podcasts going around, I tweet about them there too. Or even i promote that i'm going to fun shows like the found footage fest show after dark also as long as you're following things on twitter go to the official talking simpsons podcast twitter account at talk simpsons pod there's tons of fun things on there not only retweeting me and bob when we talk about cool things going on in the talking simpsons world but also just fun cool clips and gifts and stuff all on there you'll you'll love following at talk simpsons pod thank you so much for joining us folks we'll see you next time for bart the general and we'll see you then dreams professor hello i'm dr marvin monroe no doubt you recognize me from tv we would if we had one lisa oh no homer don't stifle the youngster your family must feel free to express itself that's what these pads and jumbo markers are for i want you to draw for me your fears your anxieties the roots of your unhappiness now take a deep cleansing breath (gasps) and begin